Welcome to Art Bell Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from June 6th, 1996. From the high desert and the great American Southwest, I bid you all good morning, good evening, dependent on your time zone across all these many, from the Tahitian and Hawaiian Island chains, eastward all the way over all of us, flyover country. To the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands, south into South America, north to the pole worldwide. On the Internet, this is Coast to Coast AM. Top of the morning, everybody. USA Radio Network just reported milk and cookies are more harmful, more likely to give you cancer than secondhand smoke. So milk and cookies in all households obviously have got to go. Isn't that incredible? Milk and cookies. <laughs> Had a few earlier today. All right. Um, as promised, coming up here shortly, Professor Gerald Ullman, uh, who was O.J. Simpson's attorney, one of them, and lessons his book, Lessons from the Trial, which I happen to think is a wonderful title. And we'll get to all of that shortly. Coast to Coast AM is happy to announce that our website is now optimized for mobile device users, specifically for the iPhone and Android platforms. Now you'll be able to connect to most of the offerings of the Coast website on your phone in a quick and streamlined fashion. And if you're a Coast Insider, you'll have our great subscriber features right on your phone, including the ability to listen to live programs and stream previous shows. No special app is necessary to enjoy our new mobile site. Simply visit coasttocoastam.com on your iPhone or Android browser. Looking for the truth? You'll find it on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. Let me ask you this. What is going on to necessitate this so quickly? There seems to be a deadline in their brains, and they need to get this done. They know their whole new world order is inches from going up in flames. So they're afraid of the awakening, and they know that their collapse is about to take place because we've been asleep at the switch, and we've let incredibly corrupt interests take control of our society. Now we take you back to the night of June 6th, 1996, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Well, it was the trial of the century. Law Professor Gerald Ullman, uh, Professor Ullman was preparing for a sabbatical back on the 16th of June, about a day before my birthday in 1994, and three days after the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman, he got a call from Robert Shapiro and said, how about it? And I guess he said, okay. Professor Ullman was at the epicenter of the trial of the century. His position on Simpson's legal dream team unique, not only an advocate for, the cli for his client, but also a teacher and a scholar. And uh, he is with us this morning or this evening depending on your time zone here he is from central california professor welcome to the program thank you art it's good to be with you it's great to have you here you're at the end of a, a long grinding book tour i guess eh? 
Yes, uh, today was the, the last day of the tour, so it's great to to be home and kind of settle in to relax a while. <laughs> how's your uh, How's your hand? I assume you signed a lot of books. I did. Uh, we had a wonderful turnout uh, for the for the book signings and uh, uh, met a lot of people who had a lot of questions about the the trial. Yes. Um, the book title, I think, is wonderful. Lessons from the trial, and it begs the first question, obviously. What really are uh, the lessons for the legal system, for society? What are the lessons? Well, I think there are some lessons for all of us. Uh, I'm, I'm realizing, as I travel around the country, the extent to which we all saw a different trial. Uh, hmm. I, I'm even realizing that as I read the books uh, written by the other lawyers and and occasionally have to ask myself were they at the same trial i was at <laughs> <laughs> well the a better question is were we all in other words i presume that you've reviewed uh, the television coverage and i'll tell you up front i was a junkie i was there every single day i rearranged my sleep patterns to see that trial <laughs> and uh, i wonder if we saw what we saw on television was even uh, a close accurate representation of, of what went on well, it was close enough to create the the impression that uh, we were seeing everything the jury saw, and I think that's one reason so many people are are ready to say, "Well, I I saw the same thing the jury saw, and I I came to a different conclusion and and reject the verdict of the jury." Uh, but but it was an illusion. You you really did not see the trial that that the jury saw. Believe me, I. I can offer just one example of that. Uh, we we were all really struck by how the jury was impressed by the view they they made of the premises, which was not, of course, televised. Um, how when the jurors walked into O.J.'s house and saw that the, the stairway leading up to the second floor and back to his bedroom was covered with white carpet. Um, and and you could just see them almost thinking, well, how could somebody drenched in blood make their way from this door up to that bedroom without leaving a drop of blood on the carpet? Right. And lo lots of little things like that, that uh, nuances that you just can't pick up from from watching the case on television. Were you were you surprised at all at at the verdict, the speed of the verdict, and then the verdict itself? Well, I certainly anticipated a longer wait for the verdict, but because it's, uh, it was because I thought the jury would be more divided than it actually was. Uh, you know, the criticism of the jury for reaching a verdict so fast really uh, misapprehends the purpose of jury deliberation. The jurors don't go into the jury room as, as 12 empty vessels waiting to be filled as they shuffle through the, <laughs> the exhibits. Yeah. They've been thinking about this all along. They sat through 10 days of argument and, and instructions. And ordinarily, the first thing a jury does when they go into the jury room is take a vote and see how far apart they are. And the deliberations are for jurors to persuade each other. Uh, but this jury quickly discovered they, they were not far apart at all, and it wouldn't take a lot of persuading uh, to, to achieve unanimity. How do you answer the charges that um, some jurors were intentionally targeted and eliminated the famous letter and so forth uh, that uh, resulted in Judge Ito dismissing a juror who might have 
held out for conviction? Well, we were actually concerned uh, from the opposite uh, standpoint, that we were losing jurors uh, who, who we thought uh, uh, would would favor acquittal. And uh, and the question of whether jurors were, were targeted is a question that was raised by the uh, defense, actually, in the, in the midst of the trial. Uh, the one juror uh, whose dismissal has been questioned after the trial yes. uh, was actually dismissed for... Uh, lying to the judge in, in an investigation he conducted uh, uh, in the middle of the trial. So frankly, I, I, I'm really surprised at how much credibility people are putting in in her story of how she would have voted and, and why she was excused. I think we tend to grasp at straws that support what we want to believe. You know, there, there's a lot of truth to that, that, uh, yes. that, that uh, people have come to a conclusion and they they tend to emphasize the portions of the case that uh, support their conclusion. I saw that a lot with the with the commentators. It got so you could almost predict what spin they would put on the on the day's events uh, once you knew how they wanted the case to come out. I'll tell you frankly in the beginning I very much thought O.J. Simpson was guilty, but when I watched the trial and you got to the point where you had the motion to dismiss because of uh, a, an alleged Fourth Amendment uh, violation when investigators jumped the fence and all the rest of it um, I thought that was a very, very strong case, and I said, you know, guilty or not, as as I look at this, I think they've made their case there was a Fourth Amendment violation, and to this day, I believe that. Well, you know, the the, the uh, from a tactical standpoint, what that motion really revealed was the willingness of police officers to uh, to play games with the truth. And once we had uh, exposed that, um, I, I think uh, it, it, it created, it started creating doubts. And ultimately, that's I think where the jury really had problems with this case. Uh, they, it's not that they rejected the science of DNA; they just rejected the the messengers who brought the evidence uh, into the courtroom and concluded that. You really couldn't trust what uh, what they were being told by the LAPD. So that planted the seed that resulted in the um, you think in the dismissal in their minds of the DNA evidence, which did really seem quite compelling. Well, it it, it was compelling uh, only if you you actually believed that yes. each exhibit came from the source that they said it came from. Uh, that there had been no uh, contamination, no mixing up of swatches, you know, that every, everything had been done uh, uh, by the book. And, and it was pretty clear, uh, I think, especially uh, with the suspicions raised about the, the blood that, uh, that was found on the sock and on the back gate. Professor, are you, if, if you had it to do all over again from the day you got the call from uh, Robert Shapiro, would you do it all over again? You bet. I, I wouldn't hesitate for a moment. Uh, you, you, as a defense lawyer, you know going in that uh, people will will uh, regard you as as some sort of sleaze, and and uh, and you'll have to put up with a lot of the the uh, dislike of your client. It, it always rubs off on the on the lawyer. But as a law professor, I, I realized uh, going in that 
this is a case we're going to talk about for the next 20 years. That's uh, true. Every issue that uh, that we talk about in courses in criminal law, criminal procedure, evidence, uh, they were all litigated in this case. So it, it's it's going to be a, a wonderful teaching tool, uh, and to have been right in the middle of it uh, uh, just gave me a, a fantastic perspective. Toward that end, was there any precedent, uh, legal precedent established, do you think, in that trial? Well, you know, precedent is established when an appellate court writes an opinion that will be followed by by future courts. Uh, so from the, you know, the standpoint of the technical meaning of precedent, no, but uh, from the, the standpoint of how this case will affect the behavior of participants in the criminal justice system in the future, uh, I think it's going to have enormous impact. And some of the impact will, will truly be positive. I mean, we have seen uh, a real uh, uh, increase in the number of police laboratories seeking accreditation. I think police are going to do a better job of, of training their personnel, and especially as you know, we're kind of on the verge of this this new technology of DNA that's going to really have tremendous impact on, on the future of criminal justice. So it was really good, I think, for everyone to get a wake-up call and, and realize uh, if you're going to use this technology, uh, you've got to gear up uh, so that you can do it right. Can you discuss... Um... Uh, are, well, are you representing O.J. Simpson in any way in the civil uh, matter that's presently underway, wrongful death suit? Well, all, all the lawyers, I think, are, are being consulted from time to time as the as the lawyers handling the civil case uh, uh, prepare it. Uh, but uh, my uh, direct involvement has been limited to arguing one motion, and that was the challenge to the punitive damages aspect of the civil case as double jeopardy. Mm -hmm. um, well, I'm going to try a question on you, and maybe you can and can't answer it. Um, NBC, it was, uh, several days ago, reported that in deposition, Marcus Allen uh, said that um, O.J. had called him and asked him to lie for him uh, in suggesting that Marcus had had a... Um, uh, an affair uh, with Nicole, and that O.J. was uh, trying to show that, in fact, he was not uh, wildly jealous and had hosted Marcus's wedding and all the rest of it. Uh, Marcus denied all this and said O.J. lied. Well, I think uh, we'll have to see who's who's lying about that. Uh, uh, you have to bear in mind that uh, uh, there's lots of, of uh, motivation uh, to uh, to conceal uh, the, the relationship if it existed uh, on, on Marcus Allen's part too, and Marcus was a very very reluctant uh, witness. Uh, he fought the subpoena when when he was subpoenaed at trial. So uh, we'll see how that how that all shakes out. Uh, I, I would be very uh, careful about uh, what what stock you put into these leaks of what's coming out of the of the That's depositions true. it's uh it's really uh, a replay of what happened at the trial where the the plaintiff's lawyers uh have have motives in terms of trying to shape public opinion by leaking selected uh, True. uh portions of, of the evidence without the whole thing coming out and that's what was going on prior to to the criminal trial with the LAPD uh, leaking a lot of information. Speaking of reluctance, did did 
your defense team uh, have a terrible time trying to get witnesses uh, to testify because of the you know the public nature of this this whole thing? Uh, a lot of reluctance. That's one reason I uh, ultimately concluded that the television cameras were a mistake. Uh, it really affected the willingness of witnesses to come in and testify for fear of the the notoriety that would accompany their testimony. And other witnesses testified like uh, like they were doing a gig. Um, I, I think when the cameras uh, start to have that impact on what actually is going on in the courtroom, uh, that's the time that the cameras should be uh, put out. Well, we've got court TV, but I've noticed in a lot of high-profile cases since, uh, judges have chosen to uh, not allow TV cameras in. Is that a trend that will continue? It's certainly a trend up until now, although I think uh, the reluctance may may wear off. And in most cases, there's no reason to be concerned. Uh, I think it's only a, a case that uh, attracts this degree of attention uh, that the cameras become like gasoline on a fire and, and really just act, exacerbate the problem. All right, here's a question I've always wanted to ask somebody of your caliber, uh, and that is, if I were accused of a murder and I uh, retained you as an attorney uh, to represent me, and at some point, uh, perhaps midway through, you either discovered or I told you that I was guilty, what, uh, what, what kind of pressure and ethical uh, dilemma does that bring to bear on you? Have you ever had to face that without discussing any specific case? Well, I think most uh, criminal lawyers have, have uh, faced similar kinds of problems. Uh, the The limitation that knowing your client is guilty uh, puts on you is is you cannot participate in the knowing presentation of, of perjured evidence so uh, at that point you couldn't put your client on the stand to to lie about it and say I didn't do it when when he had told you that uh, that he did do it and it may uh, put some limits on what kind of other evidence you can present. That never became a problem in the in the Simpson case. O.J. Uh, insisted on his innocence uh, with all of his lawyers at all times throughout the, the proceedings, and uh, uh, we never really uh, had any reason to, to doubt his denials. Well, that was going to be the next question. In your heart, any any doubts, nagging doubts now? Not really. I uh, uh, am still uh, convinced that this was the right verdict and that uh, uh, O.J. truly is innocent. I, uh, I, I found myself persuaded by my assessment of, of O.J. the man. Uh, you know, in, in the course of representing him, I, I concluded uh, this man is not a sociopath and... Uh, and he's not a very good actor, and I think you'd have to believe he's, he's one or the other uh, to have, have uh, performed according to the prosecution scenario. Um, how close uh, did the um, defense team come to putting O.J. Simpson on the stand? Well, if you listen carefully to Johnny Cochran's uh, opening statement, uh, you would have bet money that O.J. was going to testify. That's right. And uh, that was certainly our intention at the time. Uh, as the case developed, uh, we realized we were succeeding in focusing the jury's attention on on June 11th uh, or, and June 12th, and and away from 
all of the 17-year prior relationship. And that's where the prosecution wanted to focus the, the jury's attention. I mean, they started out um, and they never let up on on the uh, attempt to kind of demonize uh, Simpson as a as a wife batterer and and uh, uh, to to kind of keep the case in in that posture. Mistaken so, strategy, I take it. Exactly, and we uh, knew that if O.J. took the stand at the end of the trial, the prosecutors would spend weeks. Uh, cross-examining him about that prior relationship. Uh, in fact, the rumors flew that uh, he had kind of a re rehearsal, and I'm sure you would do that sort of thing, and that it went poorly, and that was part of what factored into your deciding not to put him on the stand. Truth, truth or not? Well, I think the rumor is inaccurate in, in, in reporting that he did poorly. Actually, he did quite well. Uh, but it, I think it helped us persuade him as to what uh, the, the prosecutors would do with the cross-examination, because uh, uh, he realized the extent to which uh, uh, they would they would bear down on the on the prior relationship. Uh, did O.J. Simpson, quick answer, generally take your advice or go his uh, insist on his own um, road of defense? I, I have to say, he is one of the most savvy intelligent clients I have ever represented. All right, on, on that note, we've got to pause. We're at the bottom of the hour. Uh, rest, we'll be right back to you. Professor Gerald Ullman is my guest. Back in a moment. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from June 6th, 1996. Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from June 6, 1996. My guest, Professor Gerald Ullman, O.J. Simpson's attorney. And we'll get back to him in just a moment. Now we take you back to the night of June 6, 1996 on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Back now to Professor Ullman, professor from Milo in uh, El Paso. He asks me, how does it feel, Art, to be dancing with the devil? So there you go, Professor. Uh, they just they just attach it right to you, don't they? Uh, yeah, you, you, you run into a lot of that. And, you know, defense lawyers uh, learn to live with that. Uh, hmm. we're, in, we're in a business where we know we're going to be identified uh, with the unpopularity of our client. Yeah, so do talk show hosts, uh, believe me. <laughs> um, listen, there was a big brouhaha over the use of the so-called race card, and uh, it was said that uh, Robert Shapiro got very upset, nearly left the team, 
uh, as a result of it. Any truth to that? Is that something you can talk about or want to talk about or don't? Well, there was never really any uh, uh, explosive uh, uh, blow-up within within the team. I think that all happened after the trial was over. And uh, uh, I, I think uh, Bob stands alone on, on that issue. Uh, I certainly disagree in terms of uh, the criticism of Cochran's closing argument. I thought the argument was, was right, right on point, and... Uh, what was being played was was not a race card. It was a credibility card. That uh, the the racial attitudes of Detective Furman uh, were an issue that had to be confronted. It had to be talked about. It had to be squarely faced. The burden of proof in a civil trial is is quite a bit less. Um, do you have any predictions uh, regarding the outcome of that ongoing? Well, you know, d despite the fact that uh, they they will not have to uh, prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt, and they will not have to convince all of the jurors even, because in California a, a civil verdict can be returned by nine of the twelve jurors. Um, I think that the uh, probability is that the case will come out the same, because there's one big difference on the defense side, and that is that O.J. will testify. And I think his testimony will be quite credible and, and quite persuasive. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what, what mistakes did the uh, main mistakes do you think the prosecution uh, made? Well, I think that the uh, primary weakness on the prosecution side was um, an arrogance about uh, the, the case that they were presenting in terms of uh, really not anticipating its weaknesses, not uh, digging deep enough to, to uh, uh, expose the, the potential problems they were going to run into, especially with uh, Detective Furman. There were plenty of, of warning signs and signals to them that uh, this is a witness who could blow up in their face, and uh, uh, when that happened, I think they were completely blindsided because they hadn't... Uh, uh, done the the work that they should have done to investigate his background in advance. Okay, the glove, uh, the glove, the glove, the glove. And uh, how important a factor was that the demonstration in court of the glove not fitting and all the rest of it? Um, people called up and complained bitterly on the radio, here and everywhere else, that it was uh, an inaccurate uh, demonstration. That um, the, the the whole glove thing was a farce. And how do you respond to that? Well, I think the, the whole thing has been uh, overemphasized uh, from the perspective of the, the jurors who have commented uh, since the verdict. Uh, uh, they, they really didn't see the glove experiment as, as pivotal. Um, you know, the line that I contributed to uh, Johnny Cochran's closing argument, if, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Oh, that was your line? Yes, yeah. Uh, actually, Cochran's closing argument was was a wonderful, uh, like a symphony, pulling together uh, a lot of suggestions from from uh, all of the the lawyers, and that's the way Johnny works, and uh, uh, and he's very good about acknowledging the the help that other people have given. Um, that that line uh, came to me. Uh, more from the jury instructions than from the glove experiment, although I thought it was a wonderful way to kind of, of reprise the, the glove experiment as well. But but the, the real gist of it is that 
the most important instruction the jury was given on circumstantial evidence uh, told them that they have to put all the pieces of the circumstantial evidence together and mm-hmm. if it points to uh, either guilt or innocence, they must go with the interpretation that points to innocence. Uh, in other words, if, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. And uh, uh, it really summed up the, the whole uh, approach that we took in the, in the closing argument in terms of the circumstantial evidence. The attorneys uh, on your side were so very different. You took a very uh, quiet, academic approach uh, Shapiro, uh, Bailey, very different. Barry Shack, yet different again. Johnny Cochran, yet different again. Um, it is amazing to me that the defense team, with such differences in style, held together so well, seemingly. Well, um, it, you know, the, the, the difference uh, in style in part reflected the uh, the different roles that uh, that were assigned to to everyone i never addressed the jury uh my my role entirely was to to write the uh, the motions and argue the motions with respect to what evidence would be admitted and and kept out and uh, and to prepare the jury instructions and and argue those uh, so you know the the approach i took was the one that I believe would be most persuasive with with the judge, whereas uh, uh, Cochran and and Sheck uh, had the, the task of, of persuading the jurors and and getting them to uh, come to together to be of one mind. And uh, I thought uh, the the coordination of their closing argument was uh, uh, really the, the high point in terms of the, the team working together. I thought that. The between the two of them, they really captured the, the hearts and minds of the jurors. I think I thought we won the case in the closing argument. All right. Well, uh, the, again, the motion though to dismiss. Uh, were you surprised uh, that did not succeed on the on the Fourth Amendment uh, violation grounds? Um, no, I I was disappointed, but I wasn't surprised because I realized how difficult it is uh, for judges to call police officers liars and. Uh, uh, they will they will use every device possible to avoid uh, coming to that conclusion, and I think that's one reason that police perjury is so prevalent. Uh, they they regularly get away with it. Huh. Um, what about uh, Judge Ito? Uh, how would you assess his uh, performance throughout? You know, I uh, in the book uh, give Judge Ito an A plus for the jury selection. I thought uh, uh, he handled uh, jury selection in a way that uh, where all of the jurors virtually had been exposed to pretrial publicity, the lawyers were given enough opportunity on, on voir dire and through the, the questionnaire that was administered to, to really probe the, uh, the jurors and, and, and be satisfied that they would be able to put aside the uh, what they had been exposed to uh, prior to trial. But it's interesting that that's the one aspect of the trial that was not televised, and it's almost as though Judge Ito performed best when the camera was not on. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, for, for me as a viewer, uh, my heart skipped a beat when the day he was prepared to throw television cameras out, and uh, in fact really had done so, and then reversed himself. Why do you think he did that? 
Well, actually, the the arguments uh, in favor of, of keeping the cameras uh, at that point were were quite persuasive arguments. I thought the lawyers uh, representing the media uh, did a did a wonderful job of uh, of really stressing the the level of, of public interest and public concern with this with this case. Ultimately, though, I I think the cameras. Uh, uh, were a mistake, but I, I have to admit we had some benefits from the camera too. Uh, people tend to overlook the fact that, uh, but for the television cameras, uh, uh, there's testimony and witnesses that uh, never would have been found in this case. Uh, the best example of that from the defense side is uh, is Kathleen Bell, uh, a key witness in impeaching Detective yes. Furman. Who recognized him when he was testifying on television and said, "Hey, that's that's the same uh, cop I heard making all those racist comments uh, five years ago." Mm -hmm. um, post trial, there's been a, a zillion interviews. Um, most recently, with Chris Darden, uh, who was on with uh, Howard Stern and sort of actively not denying an allegation that uh, he had had a relationship with Marsha Clark, um, an intimate relationship with Marsh Clark and laughing it off and um, suggesting that it well yeah it might have happened what would you say about uh, the professional level of uh, two um, prosecutors who would become personally involved during the course of the case well <laughs> uh, frankly I, I don't even want to comment on that I mean it I don't blame you to me it's it's uh, uh, it's just totally irrelevant and uh, vehicle for selling and, uh, books. Yeah, and I hope they're not, you know, using it to to promote book sales. I mean that that's just beneath contempt. <laughs> beneath contempt. All right, I would like to allow the audience to ask a couple of questions in the time we have remaining. Sure. So, uh, if we might, to the telephones and east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Professor Oman. Hello. Hello there. Hi. Hi. Where are you? I'm in San Antonio. San Antonio, yes, sir. Yes. Uh, Archer, opening remark to uh, Mr. Ullman was that you were, uh, you know, you were kind of convinced uh, early on that there was, uh, that, you know, O.J. wasn't guilty, and ever since the... No, 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 no. No, no, no. I said quite the opposite. I, I was early on convinced, in fact, he was guilty. Well, well, since the trial, you've always said that you still think he's guilty, and you... Uh, that is that is accurate, sir. Okay. Uh, I had a question for Dr. For Mr. Ullman. Yes, Professor. Uh, professor Ullman? Yes. I thought he was a lawyer. <laughs> You're both? Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah, I okay. teach at a law school, and I practice law as well. Okay. Regarding the uh, blood spot they found on the gate, you know, uh, where they say that O.J., whenever he was walking off from the, from the, uh, from the murder, yes. they, said he, they said they found the, the uh, blood stain there. Right. Um, how many weeks or how many days did it take to uh, find that? That blood drop and was it contaminated with that? Um, what do they call it? EB something? EDTA. EDTA. Yes, okay. that uh, that uh, blood was removed from the gate three weeks after uh, the murder, after the crime scene had been washed down. Uh, and and it's what's most interesting is that the concentration of DNA in that blood spot was was higher. Than any other blood sample that uh, that they found, 
and uh, there was uh, traces of, of EDTA in that in that blood spot. So that was a very very suspicious. Uh, you think it was planted? Uh, I think it was. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Professor Ullman. Hi. Uh, good morning, Art. Uh, it's, uh, it's an honor, Professor Ullman. Thank uh, you. One quick comment and a couple questions. First of all, I think it's extremely scary to think that uh, uh, O.J. has uh, proclaimed his innocence. The jury has found him innocent. Uh, the uh, lawyers have definitely stood behind him. And uh, from uh, all indications, the man is innocent. Uh, but, however, it took a, a vast amount of uh, uh, input from... Uh, a huge team of lawyers to get this an innocent man off. What I'm saying is, could one of uh, the lawyers that uh, represent, represented O.J. did him just? Could one lawyer have done him justice? Mm, this is an interesting team? question. In fact, there's an extension of that question, and of course it is: um, is justice equal in America in the sense that uh, O.J. Simpson was able to get you and many others, uh, Professor? Uh, because he had the money. Yeah, there's there's no question, but that uh, the the resources that he had gave him a significant advantage. If someone is indigent and accused of a crime of this nature, of course they can come to the court and say, "Please appoint an expert to assist in my defense," and they'll get a DNA expert, but it'll be uh, halfway. Uh, uh, to trial before they they see that expert and and I think the the real advantage we had with so many lawyers was being able to get this case prepared for trial very quickly and get our experts on board very early uh, in the proceedings and and that really made a difference. Uh, was he in effect able to purchase reasonable doubt? Is that unfair? Uh, yeah, I think it's unfair. I, I think we we would have had the same outcome but it just would have taken a lot longer to get there um, what what worries me is that uh, if we if we have to admit that that money makes a difference and I think we do then we have to admit that lack of money makes a difference and I I'm more concerned about the injustice that occurs when we don't provide a defendant with the the necessary resources. Within weeks after this verdict came down, Congress voted to defund 20 death penalty resource centers uh, throughout the country. And these centers were just doing marvelous work of raising the level of competence of, of representation for indigents uh, who were on trial for their life. And uh, in effect, Congress is saying, we don't want to spend the money that it takes uh, to ensure that uh, that uh, those on trial for their life are well represented, and uh, uh, to me that's just incongruous when when everybody says, "Oh, look at the the difference that money made in this case." Professor, while we're going down this road, there is presently a death row inmate, uh, and I'm sure you're you're up on this, um, who has been, I think, appealing since about 1986 or seven, and. Uh, of course, the president, uh, as part of the anti-terrorism bill, signed a new law limiting uh, uh, appeals to one and then uh, a quick review by a three-judge panel uh, to stop frivolous appeals after that. He is challenging that whole thing, uh, claiming it's 
unconstitutional to limit appeals, and it's going to go to the U.S. Supreme Court where there is going to be possibly a constitutional crisis in, I guess the issue is, can the U.S. Supreme Court uh, be told by Congress uh, what cases it can and cannot hear? Is this going to be a crisis? Well, uh, lawfully, uh, Congress does have that power to to limit the uh, jurisdiction of the federal courts to uh, uh, to hear appeals, and and the real uh, question that's that's coming up is the application of this law uh, to to cases uh, that were in the pipeline before the law went into effect. Kind of the retroactive uh, uh, impact uh, of the law. So this law will will certainly have uh, significant impact on on future cases and. Uh, you know, there are lots of examples of cases where people have been on death row for years before the evidence was finally found to to uh, exonerate them and, and show their innocence. We just had an example of that in, in Illinois this past year, the case of Rolando Cruz, who spent 10 years on death row uh, before they were able to establish that uh, that it was police perjury that put him there. Mm-hmm. And uh, through DNA tests established that someone who confessed to the murder uh, eight years ago actually committed it. And uh, the police had spent the last eight years trying to discredit that confession. You see then that the, ho- the court will uh, hold this law to be constitutional? Uh, I, I think uh, the present uh, Supreme Court... Uh, is very much inclined to uh, uh, to go along with the, the the whole movement to speed up the the review process in death penalty cases. All right, uh, Professor, we come to the end of the hour, and I know you've got to go, and I know you're pooped, and I don't blame you. Uh, lessons from the trial. Where can people get your book? Uh, it should be in the bookstores. Ask for it if you don't see it. Uh, it's published by Andrews and McMeal. And uh, it's got my picture on the cover. Certainly does. Um, how long did it take you to write this? Uh, actually, I didn't decide to even do a book until after the verdict came in. So I started uh, writing it in November, and it took about uh, three months of, of writing. When when the verdict came down, I was in the midst of uh, of writing a play, and I'm I'm equally excited about my. My play, it's going to open in Omaha on June 13th. It's a one-man play on the life of William Jennings Bryan. Wow. Oh, wow, I had no idea you were doing that. I'm very excited about it. Oh, that is exciting. So um, you're not exactly retired, are you? Uh, well, I like to write, and uh, and this was a great <laughs> opportunity to uh, to put it to what I hope is, is a useful function of, of helping people understand what really went on in this case. Was the O.J. Simpson case, uh, Professor, your uh, uh, the, the highlight of your career? Well, uh, from, from the standpoint of being a law professor, the opportunity to be right in the middle of a case that we're going to talk about for the next 25 years. Just about has to be, I guess, huh? Yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a tremendous opportunity. Professor Ullman, we're out of time. Bless your heart for being here. Get a good night's sleep, and thank you. Thank you, Art. Take care. That's uh, Professor Gerald Ullman, O.J. Simpson's attorney. I'm Art Bell. We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from June 6, 1996.
hear the drums echoing tonight She hears only whispers of some quiet conversation Networks presents Art Bell Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired June 6, 1996. Good morning, everybody. Good to be here. Continuing now and moving into open lines in a moment, this is Coast to Coast AM. We just did one hour with uh, Gerald Ullman, professor, O.J. Simpson's uh, attorney, one of O.J. Simpson's attorneys, and I've always wanted to do that, always wanted to talk to that man. Now I have. All right, let's cover a few topics. And there's not a whole lot in the news, so we're going to let it kind of uh, sort of drift this morning. Uh, we've got a guest coming up uh, Friday night, Saturday morning, who I think you're really, really going to enjoy. And uh, that would be Dr. Pepsi uh, Togar who interprets dreams, and uh, not in a way that you've heard before. If you didn't catch Dreamland, I think you'll enjoy Friday night, Saturday morning. The doctor is very different, and what you think a dream means, well, I'll tell you what, it doesn't. <laughs> you'll find out. Alaska. We have uh, a lot of coverage of Alaska. Um, as a matter of fact, like a blanket, uh, we cover Alaska. And there's a big fire up there right now, 60 miles north of Anchorage. It really is a big fire. And reinforcements are being called in. 150 homes have been destroyed up there. 37,000 acres have been consumed. 1,000 people have been evacuated. And guess what? Investigators tonight are saying they believe fireworks began the blaze. Interesting. Now, that issue, for a second aside, isn't it a bit early for such dry conditions in Alaska? Now, I would think that the, uh, the water from the melt uh, would still be keeping things fairly uh, green and moist. And so I'm very surprised uh, that Alaska is having this much difficulty this early. I watched a movie uh, earlier today about Alaska. Uh, which I thought was very good, and I'm trying desperately to remember the name of it. Uh, it was uh, the Blue Arctic or something like that, and it was uh, it was quite well done. It was about it was about um, well, I, I'm going to say a murder. I, I, I guess it was a way, in a way, a sort of a murder mystery drama type thing that took place um, a way out uh, outside Fairbanks. And at one point in the movie, uh, they actually um, they actually had uh, KFAR in Fairbanks uh, mentioned in the movie. I, I suppose out in the bush, uh, way outside uh, Fairbanks, 
uh, KFAR is about the only thing you can hear. That's that that was the setting of the movie, uh, someplace outside Fairbanks. And it was really a well-done movie. I, I'm going to have to go into the other room and dig out the name of that movie for you. I think a lot of you in Alaska would be interested. A lot of you not in Alaska would be interested. Alaska, as you know, is a very, very different kind of place. And this movie was not your normal murder mystery. It addressed the kind of people that live in Fairbanks and outside Fairbanks and way outside Fairbanks. And it's a very different kind of world that if you have never lived there well it's it's kinda like the last frontier it was absolutely fascinating now um, there's a big Medi Medicare fight going on as you know the trustees of Medicare opened their books um, yesterday and they said um, gee guess what Medicare is gonna go broke by the year 2001 that's a year earlier uh, than they previously uh, thought. Unless the politicians do something to fix it, the rapid growth must be cut. Republicans say the president um, vetoed the balanced budget amendment that would have fixed it for a few years. The Democrats say the Republicans um, rejected fixes that both sides had previously agreed about. In other words, both sides aren't really doing a damn thing. Both sides do not want this as a campaign issue. Both sides know the long-term problem for Medicare is actually insoluble. And they won't even talk about that. They will, no doubt, eventually talk about a short-term fix because they're going to have to. But long-term, it's like our debt it may be past the point of no return and they know it they know it there are 37 million people on Medicare in America today that's one in eight over 65 years of age in our country and by the year 2030 one in five will be over 65 and instead of uh, 37 million there will be 70 million on Medicare and it'll be far past broke. So the problem, you see, is insoluble. And both sides are not even going to talk about it. They don't want it as a campaign issue, because then they would have to talk about what's really coming. So as far as I am concerned, both sides, Democrats and Republicans, uh, in varying degrees perhaps, are being dishonest, lying to the American people, lying by omission. If the real truth is this program and all the others are going to be consumed by the increasing uh, interest on the debt, and that is what's going to occur, as well as uh, their own burgeoning costs, then that's what they ought to tell the American people, but the American people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear it. Did you know that one-third of the $200 billion Medicare money every year is spent in the last year of life the last year of life and one half of that amount one half of that amount is spent in the last ten days of life the last ten days with exotic machines uh, that keep you breathing keep your heart beating even though your brain is never going to recover uh, they keep it going
at great cost. Maybe somebody ought to start talking about that. What do you think? So I'm presently sort of disgusted, uh, very nearly equally with both sides on this issue. I wonder how you feel about it. FBI and a member of the anti-government Freeman have held the first face-to-face -face talks between the two sides in more than two weeks. The get-together occurred Wednesday night away from the compound where members of the separatist group have been holed up since late March. A man identified by neighbors as Edwin Clark met with federal agents at a church about a mile from the ranch, which is being used by the FBI as a field post. Session lasted just about two hours. No word on what was said. Afterward, Clark was driven back to the Freeman compound by his wife, who then, get this, left the ranch by herself. More stories on the Chupacabra. Every day, more stories. The Orange County Register. Mythical Chupacabra instills fear. Some claim to have seen the monster now in Santa Ana. Santa Ana? Chupacabra in Santa Ana? Now, how would the Chupacabra make its way through a densely populated area like Santa Ana without being uh, photographed, printed, <laughs> identified. And uh, you, you just wouldn't think uh, Los Angeles area would, uh, would be a good place for any chupacabra to hide. But I suppose that it could get out into the hills and not be spotted. I don't know. But every day, uh, a new and major newspaper is reporting on the chupacabra. Looking for the truth? You'll find it on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. I think now, as we look back, we can probably say with pretty good certainty that some people in government might have been aware of what was going on and they turned their cheek the other way just to let it happen. I also believe that some bigger groups got involved with Al-Qaeda to do what they did on that horrible day. This wasn't just a small group of people who came in and did their thing. There was a much bigger picture there. And if you see the events that have unfolded since this tragedy occurred, how we've lost rights, how we used it to go in Afghanistan and Iraq, and how it has really not stopped, because it's going to continue. We're going to have more and more episodes and more and more involvement in other countries. And just mark my word, this planet is going through an incredible change. And thank God we've got you here to talk with us about it. Coast to Coast AM is happy to announce that our website is now optimized for mobile device users, specifically for the iPhone and Android platforms. Now you'll be able to connect to most of the offerings of the Coast website on your phone in a quick and streamlined fashion. And if you're a Coast Insider, you'll have our great subscriber features right on your phone, including the ability to listen to live programs and stream previous shows. No special app is necessary to enjoy our new mobile site. Simply visit coasttocoastam.com on your iPhone or Android browser. Streamlink, the audio subscription service of Coast to Coast AM, has a new name, Coast Insider. You'll still get all the same great features for the same low price, just 15 cents a day when you sign up for one year. The package includes podcasting, which offers the convenience of having shows downloaded automatically to your computer or MP3 player, and the iPhone app with live and on-demand programs. 
You'll also get our amazing download library of three full years of shows. Just think, as a new subscriber, over 1,000 shows will be available for you to collect, enjoy, and listen to at your leisure. Plus, you'll get streamed and on-demand broadcasts of Art Bell's Somewhere in Time shows and two weekly classics. And as a member, you'll have access to our monthly live chat sessions with George Norrie and special guests. If you're a fan of Coast, you won't want to be without Coast Insider. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up today. Now we take you back to the night of June 6th, 1996, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Now, the Demon Seed. I have received more email, more faxes on the Demon Seed. The Demon Seed, so-called, nicknamed, we've got to nickname everything it seems, uh, comes or is on its way from the Seattle area. Bill grew this horrible thing in his yard. He had to finally hack at it with a hacksaw, and even now doesn't have it under control, claims it is uh, darn near contacted authorities, was going to contact me. Uh, I requested him to, but he doesn't, he doesn't want to be on the air, and I don't blame him. This thing was consuming his yard, threatening to consume him, I guess. Grew some horrible, ugly meat, Meat, mind you. Um, so uh, he's sending me the seeds. Why me? <laughs> I have no idea why me. <laughs> I guess it's just my lot in life, whether it's uh, Roswell parts alleged or demon seeds. As I said yesterday, I fully expect to go to the post office and see um, some sort of uh, cage there with a uh, full chupacabra banging back and forth waiting for me. Uh, dear Art, I have only been in the Washington State area for a couple of months, but I tuned into your radio broadcast recently, heard the disturbing news of the gentleman who found some mystery seeds in his grandfather's lead-lined lock box. I'm writing to warn you not to plant them. Although I've not been in the area for long, I have in the past been employed at a facility similar to the Hanford nuclear plant, and I am aware of ongoing secret research into genetic cloning and radioactive isotope flora experimentation. This is taking place at this very moment in nuclear facilities in the Midwest, and I've heard rumors of the same here in Washington. For ethical reasons, I had to terminate my previous employment. I'm now living incognito here in the great Northwest. Art, from what I've heard on your radio program, you seem to be a reasonable man. I beg of you, for God's sakes, don't plant this foul Frankenstein offspring. If you have any concern for your fellow man, if you have an ounce of care for the environment and the posterity of future generations, if you have even one shred of decency as a human being, then I appeal to your conscience now. I will be contacting you in the near future with documentation that will prove the existence of these horrible, mutant, bastard bean plants. <laughs> God. Although the researchers uh, involved have the fine goal of feeding starving humanity through scientific advances at heart, nevertheless, they have opened up Pandora's box. It's a box of horrors, the likes of which Bill has described in his backyard is only the beginning. I hope it's not too late, Art. 
Destroy the killer seeds with fire immediately. Don't breathe the fumes. You'll be hearing from me soon, signed, worried in Seattle. And then to give a little uh, credibility to this whole subject, Hello, Art. About a week ago, I watched a show on animals of the occult on the Discovery Channel. Guess what? They covered several animals that have been admired by several cultures over the centuries. Bats, beetles, snakes, etc. At one point, they discussed a couple of plants within the topic. One was a plant with a large, hideous flower that smelled like rotten meat. The plant was used... Uh, in order to attract flies, the flies then in turn would transfer pollen from plant to plant. Well, I guess they do. I, I always thought that was a job of uh, bees. In one of God's unusual miracles, I guess, since this aired before you received your facts about the seeds, I really didn't pay close enough attention to get the name of the plant, but there's got to be someone out there who has it. And it goes on and on and on. An email, uh, Art, I must also express my opinion as to your course of action regarding meat seeds, which are now winging their way into your sweaty and hesitant palms. I say don't plant them, at least not now anyway, considering what uh, dames and others have said is in our future. I think you should save the seeds for a time when other less hardy plants are unable to survive the harsh environmental conditions. You will then be known and remembered as the person who saved humanity from starvation and extinction. In the great tradition of Johnny Appleseed, the name Arthur Demonseed Bell will live on in the legends of our descendants. <laughs> Let me take a quick break here while I can still keep a straight face. I, I presume these seeds are on the way now, winging their way, the Arthur Bell demon seed. One last note, and then we'll go to the phones. From Baton Rouge, Louisiana, another quickening story. A 16-year-old boy arrested Wednesday, charged with raping a one-year-old girl. one-year-old girl. The teenager whose name, of course, will not be released until he is charged as an adult later this week, had been hiding in neighboring Livingston Parish since the infant was attacked eight days ago. According to Kelly, the victim's mother left the baby with her two young sisters and two neighborhood children, including this 16-year-old while running errands. When she returned, the infant was bleeding heavily, had bruises on her face and back. The child was taken to a hospital, then transferred to Our Lady of the Lake Regional Medical Center for surgery. Pediatric surgeon Dr. Faith Hansborough said the baby suffered a very serious degree of physical trauma from the sexual abuse. Quote, this is the worst case I've ever seen since I've been practicing. If convicted as an adult, by the way, the teenager could be sentenced to death. Now, you know, I don't even, I don't, 
I don't like these stories, and I, I don't know what to do with them except to add them up and sort of just lump them in with everything else that seems to be going on. Our society is in serious moral, ethical decline. It is what I choose to call the quickening. I'll let you speculate about where it's going, why it is. I don't know. I truly don't know. I just know that it is occurring and that if we don't do something about it, it is going to get us in one of many ways and I can't tell you what. You know, I, I am not a prophet. I can't tell you that the jet stream is going to come down and uh, visit us with 300 mile per hour winds or California is going to fall off into the ocean and I just, I'm not a prophet even though I interview people who say that kind of thing. I don't know that kind of stuff to be true. It may be. What I do know is uh, that I observe by the day that things are worsening. Our social interactions, uh, our racism, our hatreds, they're all on the increase. And I'm telling you, this is headed towards something. Uh, you know me in religion, uh, a believer, but still a little skeptical and uh, unsure of a path there so I don't predict that it's the final days and Christ is going to be coming back shortly I don't know I just know there is something going on it's headed somewhere and we better do something because it won't be long you're listening to Art Bell somewhere in time tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from June 6th 1996. Good morning, everybody. I'm Art Bell. Well, 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 look at this. Art, I'm working late, but must, out of frustration, fax this message. Your guest, meaning uh, Professor Ullman, is the best example I've heard of a detached, cold, heartless, lost soul. He's found not only the nerve to be part of a uh, defense of a very sick killer, but has seen his way clear to profit from the death of Simpson's wife. To him I say, spend the blood money from your book, knowing you will be ultimately judged for defending this monster. P.S. Art, you have reached a new low in having this creep as a guest. That's from uh, somebody named Dexter, not of the flowers. 
Well, you know, I'll have anybody as a guest, and besides that, I don't feel that way about Professor Woman at all. As a matter of fact, I was kind of a fan. I thought that his uh, motions were filed articulately, uh, academically, uh, well-argued, and I respect the man greatly. And that has nothing to do with what I think with re about uh, the, uh, uh, the guilt or innocence of O.J. Simpson. I very much respect the man. I think he's a scholar, and I'm, I'm very proud to have had him on the show. So reaching a new low, I don't think so. Uh, as you must have learned by now from listening to this program, I do all kinds of interviews on all kinds of subjects, and I don't limit myself or this program to any particular road. As a matter of fact, more than ever, lately I've been disgusted, absolutely disgusted with politics, and this whole Medicare thing is right at the top of the list. As, as far as I'm concerned, both sides are lying to the American people, flat-out lying. And I can't get into a, a debate about the minutiae of political, meaningless crap. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, this discussion is uh, with regard to uh, uh, political issues for the campaign right now is minutia and crap. <laughs> I'm sorry. But if you look down line a little bit, there is no solution to the Medicare problem. Uh, none at all. And uh, both sides are not going to talk about it. So as far as I'm concerned, pox on both their houses, you know. And that's just the way I feel about politics right now. I, I go back and forth and back and forth. When I see a real issue, I'll sit here and fight it out like anybody else. But I don't see any real issue right now. I see rhetoric. I see the re-election of Bill Clinton. I don't think Bob Dole's going to beat him. And now that will bring facts and saying, Oh, stop saying that, Art. It's what I think. If that changes, I'll let you know. Right now, the way I see it, Bob Dole is a wonderful guy. He's a patriot. He was... Uh, uh, a hero in the war, but he's not going to beat Bill Clinton. He's not going to beat Bill Clinton. He can barely get a paragraph out. He's not a campaigner. He's an example of the Peter principle. You know what that is? It's when people um, who are very good in a job, and, and as a minority and then majority leader, he was very good, uh, rise to a position for which they are not qualified, and that is not that he would not be qualified to be president, but that he, he's not qualified to campaign against Bill Clinton. Clinton's going to beat him. And we're going to have, and it, it may be a terrible whooping, in my opinion, one that would bring uh, a majority of Democrats uh, back to the Senate, maybe even the House, and you try and figure another four years with Bill Clinton. So that's my opinion. And as far as the political campaign goes so far, totally uninterested. Uh, and I'm not going to sit here and sponsor an argument, a meaningless argument. You know, I'm sure there's big discussions going on elsewhere about Medicare and, ooh, our plan is better and our plan is better. They both stink. And both of them uh, are lying to us by omission. Medicare is going to go broke. <laughs> We're going to go broke, period. And they're not even talking about that. At least when we had uh, uh, the Texan in the race, uh, we had a little bit of uh, honesty injected about what was coming. Now that's all forgotten, and they're going to argue meaningless minutia. So, Arctic Blue. That was the name of the movie I saw earlier today. Arctic Blue. Has anybody seen that? God, that was a good movie. 
It was about Alaska, and it was about, uh, it was a sort of a murder mystery, but it was about the people who live in the bush outside uh, Fairbanks. And I would like to hear some, uh, from some of you up in Fairbanks. Was that a fair representation of what it's like once you get away from the big city, <laughs> Fairbanks? Which really isn't a very big city in the sense that it's still kind of a frontier location itself. But what about once you get out in the bush? And I've received this with respect to Alaska as well. Art, need help on the fire thing. Live between Wasilla and Big Lake, Alaska. Fire's out of control. It's from Jim. He said, my home and my friends are in trouble right now. So I would like to hear from you, uh, any of you up in that uh, particular area or any of you up in the Fairbanks area, and kind of get a try to get an, an idea of whether what was depicted in Arctic Blue. God, that was a good movie. Uh, I forget, it may have been on Cinemax 2 or something like that. Check your TV guide. See if you can catch it. So if you're up in Alaska in one of the two uh, locations, give me a call on our West of the Rockies line right now at 1-800-618-8255. Would everybody else on that line for just a little bit Hold off. I really would like to hear from Alaska. I don't know why I'm suddenly uh, obsessing on Alaska. The fire, I guess, in the movie earlier today. So I'd like to hear from Alaska. Um, everybody else, just hold off a little bit. Let Alaska get through, if you would, please. Let, let us get a few reports from the fire area. It's horrible. It's horrible. And I guess somebody else wrote and said there just wasn't enough snow. And this is June, early June. What's it going to be like in August, early September? Whew. Awful. Really awful. So, Alaska, please. 1-800-618-8255. And it was, again, it was kind of heartening to hear um, in the movie Arctic Blue, the only station heard way outside of Fairbanks was KFAR. My ears perked up at that one. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Hello there. No, you're not. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, I'm calling from Alaska. Well, good. Where are you in Alaska? Right now I'm in Anchorage, Alaska. They've evacuated people from Big Lake, Houston, and all that area because the fire, they cannot contain it. They put it out. The wind shifted. I mean, we've got, the wind is not wind. I mean, tornado wind, hurricane wind. I mean, wind, strong wind is blowing. So, and besides that, the fire makes a bag of wind, too. Yeah, so when it gets that far out of control, uh, the only thing you can do is get the hell out of the, the way, I guess, huh? Well, um, we've had the weirdest winter. We did, the you know, remember all the snow in the lower 48? Sure. You got our snow. I know, that's absolutely true. What happened is the jet stream shifted. And instead of sweeping it all over you, it swept it, uh, swept it we down We had an here. umbrella over Alaska. Yeah. yeah. You got our snow. You got our water. Then our breakup time, you know, number one, I forgot. Also, because we didn't have snow a week before the Iditarod. You know what that is? Of course. I live there, dear. Okay. Week before, we got snow for the Iditarod. They'd already canceled the... Remember how we usually have the car races and everything? They canceled a lot of Iditarod events because of no snow. I mean, no snow. 
I remember people were calling up saying there's something wrong with our winter, and now it's being reflected in the summer. Yeah, we didn't get, you know how, remember during uh, spring you get the rain? Yes. I think we've had rain three times. And I don't mean rain, I mean showers. So there really wasn't much of a breakup because there no. wasn't much to break up. No, there wasn't. Breakup in Alaska refers to the melt in the spring. Um, well, all right. Um, I really appreciate the call. and um, Yeah, we need prayers, sir. We need prayers bad. Well, we'll send them your way. Because we do not have the people nor the equipment up here. Well, they're bringing in firefighters now from other states. That's how serious but see, it that, is. No, that, you know how serious it was? They waited too long. Yeah. It should have been done instantly because it's that dry out Well, there. to be fair to them, though, they were fooled. They actually thought they had it under control, and, and then suddenly the wind came up. Well, see, the wind was already out there, and you, you can, anybody with brains that's lived up here long enough can tell our humidity's even been crazier. Yeah. Well, it's normal. I mean, it, it just has not been regular weather. And I don't know right now if my home... <laughs> My Justice Cedar home, the only thing I have of over 20 years of marriage, is destroyed or not, because nobody's allowed back in there. So you've got a home in the area? Yes, I do. They, they're evacuating everybody. First, they moved everybody to Big Lake. Uh, elementary school and stuff there, which they didn't stay long because the uh, wind changed. The wind keeps changing direction. Right. And they had to move them out of there. They're now in uh, Wasilla. And if they don't get a control on it, they're going to be moving them out of Wasilla. Houston, everybody. I mean, the, and now, now instead of it going to the south, it's now going to the north. All right. Well, well, listen, thank you very much. And we'll, we'll take some more reports. I want to hold that line for Alaska for a bit here. I think, um, I think we're having a change in weather, folks. I really do. And I had a report the other day, uh, prior to the discussion with uh, Major Dames, uh, a USGS person suggested there ha that there really is uh, a change in the weather, that we are not experiencing just a cyclical uh, upturn or downturn or however you want to look at it with the weather, that there really is a basic change. And I, and I think uh, each new season brings more credibility to that argument. I think we're having a weather change. Something is drastically changing. Looking for the truth? You'll find it on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. I think now, as we look back, we can probably say with pretty good certainty that some people in government might have been aware of what was going on and they turned their cheek the other way just to let it happen. I also believe that some bigger groups got involved with Al-Qaeda to do what they did on that horrible day. This wasn't just a small group of people who came in and did their thing. There was a much bigger picture there. And if you see the events that have unfolded since this tragedy occurred, how we've lost rights, how we used it to go into Afghanistan and Iraq, and how it has really not stopped because it's going to continue. We're going to have more and more episodes and more and more involvement in other countries. And just mark my word, this planet is going through an incredible change. And thank God we've got you here to talk with us about it. 
You're listening to Ark Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from June 6, 1996. East of the uh, Rockies, you're on the air. Would have been, excuse me. Uh, Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Radio Free America. Well, hello there. How's it going, pal? It's going. Hey, uh, you know, Dole's not going to get Clinton, but Whitewater might. Well, it, it's. I don't think it's going to get Clinton. If it, if Whitewater gets anybody, it's going to get Mrs. Clinton. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, as a matter of fact, the, the Journal did a piece uh, today's uh, called "Non-Denial Pardon," and I went. Uh, I was talking to my attorney today, and he said <clears throat> Clinton cannot afford. To give the denial before the election, but he's probably—I mean, the, the pardon before the election—but he's probably talking to the McDougals and Jim Guy Tucker right now, saying, "Slow down. Once I'm elected, I'll pardon you guys." Yeah, it's it's good thought. And uh, the, the the bottom line is, but our, that you know, even then, even after an election, that would bring on such a firestorm and such a serious investigation. The man would be looking at impeachment if he tried that. There's well. It's headed there, even if he gets the election, Art, I, I think. But, you know, it's like my dad said, you know, a wounded animal is a lot more dangerous than a healthy one. Well, I, I look at things in, in a little different light than you do. I, I think the Republicans are responsible for their own uh, bad present situation. In other words, they made the fight between Bob Dole and Pat Buchanan. And I know how you feel about Buchanan. I'm not going to get into that with right. you. But, but in, in my view, Buchanan never was going to win and it made it an easy shot for Dole to walk away with a nomination. Uh, you know, once uh, Buchanan had been demonized properly, and it wasn't a hard job, he even helped, uh, it was Dole all the way, and Dole is not going to beat Clinton. No way. And Pat, you know, was a much better debater, and he could have uh, given at least uh, Clinton, a, a, you know, a good uh, debate. But the bottom yeah, but, line but, is... But, but, but Chucky wasn't going to win. Well, and and uh, uh, the Dole camp knew that, the Dole camp was praying for Buchanan as a um, uh, as a competitor. Yeah, I don't, you know, <clears throat> I don't want to get sidestepped here, but I do want to yeah. say this. Now, the Journal r r ran a piece uh, today about uh, what's going down there in Arkansas, Art, and that's what's going to get Clint with the meanest stuff. If, uh, you know, if Starr's got the courage to pursue it and the Journal keeps uh, keeps doing what they're doing, you know, Clinton Clinton's going to be, you know, he's going to be in serious trouble. But like you said, Whitewater's, you know, going to be headed Hillary's direction. Yeah, I think so. And Chuck, if uh, you look at the convictions that have already occurred, he's going to be testifying in yet another trial. Yeah. The American people have had enough time to digest this, and the polling numbers, Chuck, have not changed I know. one digit. Our, and the bottom line is the American people don't care. The bottom line is our, the American people deserve Bill Clinton. Well, all right. You uh, thank you. You might come to that conclusion. The American people don't care. They don't care. That is verified, underscored by the um, by the polling numbers, and that's what I conclude. The American people don't care. Sad, scary, but true. I was talking to somebody about this earlier today. They don't care. If you think Ronald Reagan had Teflon, um, Bill Clinton has Teflon times two. You know, the new improved model of Teflon. 
West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Hi, Eric. My name is James, and I'm calling from Everett, but my house is about, uh, last time I checked, about two blocks away from a fire. James, uh, I'm glad to hear from you, but we're holding this line for Alaska, James. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, have a good morning. Uh, till, uh I don't know, maybe 1.30 or something. In other words, about another 40 minutes, I'm going to hold the west of the Rockies line for Alaska. Some people out in the bush outside uh, Fairbanks have satellite uh, phones. A lot of people in Alaska have satellite phones, and they might be able to get through. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Where are you, sir? I beg your pardon? I want to talk about Alan Keyes. Uh, where are you? I'm in Bakersfield. Okay, well, uh, number one, we're holding that line for Alaska. I guess you didn't hear me. Number two, you have your radio on. Well, uh, first time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Yeah, all right, let's get off of this, uh, this politics, man. I mean, Clinton's done. And, uh. Clinton's done? He's done. Let's face it, I mean, uh. Now, excuse me. How do you come to that conclusion? What, what basis do you have for saying that? Let's face it, uh. The president, well, the bucks does stop with the president. I don't care if his wife was in charge of those firings. Um, she was in the White House, and if she was doing it, Anything done in the White House, officially, is under the president's control. They're not going to nail this president for those firings. You're talking the about... The, you talk, yeah. Wait a minute. You're talking about the travel office firings? Yeah. No way. They're I not, not going to... Even if they did, listen, they're allowed to fire people. Yeah, now, now they're, they're not allowed to use the FBI, uh, misuse the FBI. That's where I think it's, it's going to come back to him. I mean, who, who controls the FBI? Who well, the FBI? That's, a good, that's a good question. Uh, suppo you know? Supposedly, certainly not the president. Well, no, I mean, well, you know, you, you take your steps on up. Now, did the Attorney General know about this? Well, I'm sure we'll find out. But if you think that's going to take this president out, you're wrong. I, I, I think his Teflon has a little chink in it. I think it has a little chink in it. In, in, uh, show, show, me, show me where that's reflected in the polls, the support. Well, you know, I, I don't take these polls. You don't believe the polls? Uh, no, I don't. I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't. The people I talk to are... Hey, every, I want to every... tell you the truth. I do. I do you believe do? the poll. Yeah, I do. Okay. Well, we'll see. Yeah, we will indeed. All right. Thank you. Yes, I believe the polls. I don't believe the polls that support what I think and dismiss the polls that I don't agree with. And that's what people tend to do. They tend, uh, as we were discussing with Professor Ullman, they tend to grasp and hold on to things um, that support their point of view, and they're not objective. I think objectively that unless there is a really a big smoking gun that is found this president is going to be with us for another four years once again uh, for about I'm, I'm gonna give it 30 more minutes and we're gonna hold the line open for Alaska only I'm particularly interested in hearing uh, from the area where the fire is going on one uh, outside Anchorage and from the Fairbanks area, or from anybody who's really out in the bush, because I just saw Arctic Blue. Have any of you up there seen Arctic Blue? Does that uh, reflect reality in that area? Hmm? And as far as politics goes, I say it again. This fight over the Medicare business is ridiculous and meaningless. And as far as Bill Clinton is concerned, you know what's coming, and I do too. Four more years. I said, four more years coming your way. <laughs> we'll be right back. You're listening.
listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from June 6, 1996. Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from June 6, 1996. This fire is absolutely horrible, this fire in Alaska. Uh, here's a fact on the subject. In your opening remarks this evening, you said you couldn't understand why Alaska was having this horrible wildfire. Didn't the snowpack make things wet enough? During the past winter, Anchorage, uh, the Anchorage area, did not receive any snow until January, not enough to make the area wet. Plus, we've not had any measurable rain this spring. There are two highs, one over Fairbanks, one over the southwest area of the state, creating high winds, which are fanning the fire. Open fires have been banned. This fire is totally out of control and burning on more than one front. The Parks Highway, one of two main north-south highways in the state, has been closed. This is on the north side of the fire. More than 150 homes have been lost. 2,000 people evacuated. Wasilla is threatened now on the southeast side of the fire. One of the biggest problems are the dog mushers having to evacuate with their dogs. Where do you put hundreds of dogs? The people of the state are tremendous. The Red Cross is feeding and clothing people that have been evacuated, and the Salvation Army is feeding the firefighters. So much food and clothing has been donated They've stopped asking for it and now need donations of money to help victims. So that's where it's at. Uh, that's from uh, Chugiak, Alaska, Patricia in Chugiak, Alaska, and I feel very fortunate to have a pipeline uh, to all of Alaska. And so we will continue to restrict our West of the Rockies line for a period to Alaska, uh, all of Alaska, at um, one 800 618-8255. Everybody else, please hold off. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello there, Art. Hi. I'm up here in Anchorage. Yes, ma'am. And we're a few miles away from the fire, but um, getting the repercussions nonetheless. Um, air quality warnings have been out, and uh, kids' activities canceled, soccer games, and end-of-school picnics. My. And um, we have an area called Hillside where... Well, houses are built way up high on the hill. Yes. And looking out of those houses this morning, normally you can see the city, and um, I mean Tuesday morning, but looking out, all you could see was a big blanket of smoke. You couldn't see the city at all. Oh, my. And the sun shines through this smoky sky, just a, like an orange ball. It's, it's real weird. It smells like you're about, oh, 10 feet away from a campfire. Well, from what I can hear of the conditions, it's dry. You haven't had enough moisture, didn't have enough snow, didn't have enough rain. And this is just the beginning of the fire season, and this one's totally out of control. 
It's real bad. It's real bad. And earlier you're talking about, um, you know, strange weather and weather changes. And um, there's there's a big group of people up here that probably feel the same as I. Um, very definitely could be something to do with HARP. Uh, the testing going on up there is um, unbeknownst to, to the public. And I know. Well, you know, whether it does or does not have something to do with HARP, People are going to blame it on HARP. You can be damn sure of that. <laughs> I mean, weather control was part of uh, what what effect a, a lot of people believe HARP could have. So even if it's not responsible, this really weird twist in the weather is definitely going to get blamed on HARP. Well, you know, and that that's good. I mean, blame or no blame, it's that the awareness that's coming about about HARP, and you need to be really, really... Um, congratulated on, on all you've done to help that awareness get out um, because uh, public knowledge of, of things that our government's having control over um, and, the, and the awareness is the only thing that's going to save us. Well, I thank you, and our wishes and our prayers are with you. Believe me, I, I, I know what your area is like. Thank you. I lived there. I lived uh, actually in Menard in Anchorage and uh, worked for the affiliate that now carries me there, KENI. <sighs> Alaska is a hard place to explain to people who have never lived there. In fact, impossible. Even watching uh, Arctic Blue, which I thought was a really, really good movie. Boy, what a sleeper that was. Uh, even that, um, although it gave you a hint of what Alaska is about, you just cannot imagine what this state is like until you have been there. The wilderness, the majestic, uh, incredible vistas of... It's just an amazing place, and I, I can't find the words to really explain it to you, except that I, I was there, so I know about it, and to imagine an out-of-control wildfire in Alaska this early in the year is scary. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, I'm in Anchorage. Yes, sir. Uh, hi, Art. Hi. Hi. Uh, we're having uh, small fires around Anchorage in some places, and uh, uh, smoke's going all the way down to Kenai. That's what I've heard, yeah. And uh, let's see, all there is, is, all you can see is smoke, and I'm wondering if I can give you a few phone numbers here, not over the air, but anyway, I can give some to you. No, there really is no way. Um, I I'm the only one here at the moment. I've got a couple of phone numbers. I've got a phone number of um, a place about 10 miles south of the fire line right now, which I may call. Okay. Uh, so I, I appreciate the offer, but there's no way to do it. You know, it's a one-man band here. Yeah, all right. All right, thank you very much. All right. Take care. Uh, Alaska. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, yeah, good evening, Art. Uh, Dan and Laughlin. Yes, sir. Hey, uh, do you wear the uh, Art Bell watch? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Yeah. Actually, it's it's uh it's there's nothing like it. Mm -hmm. Have you seen it? No, I haven't, but uh, I can imagine what it looks like. I bet you can. Right. Uh, quick question about GMX. Yes. Um, we're all human, and we need mir minerals, like you said. That's right. Now, do we need uh, chlorine and lead and all that too? No, Is we don't. Uh, we don't, and that's why we offer the countertop filter. Oh. Uh, oh. Okay, because uh, <laughs> GMX doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't filter anything, does it? Um, 
Um, no, it doesn't filter anything. That's not what it does. That's not how it conditions. Uh, it simply fixes the minerals uh, so that they, uh, they're, they're changed and they don't stick to things as they otherwise normally do. And if you doubt that, uh, as I say in the commercial, you know, go look at your shower head or wash right, your car right, and look the white spots. I was, just, I was just wondering if it filters the uh, no, bad also with the good. Well, well, no, it doesn't filter anything. Right. Uh, but then, again, other chemical processes used, uh, the normal ones, to condition water don't either. They simply uh, change it by uh, adding salt. I see. So to get the chlorine, you need another filter. To get the chlorine out, you need a filter, is correct. Right. Thanks a lot. Okay, you bet. Take care. No, it's just used to con condition water against all those things that you would normally want conditioned water for. Uh, west of the... Uh, push the button. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Good morning, Art. Good morning, sir. Where are you? Uh, Reno. Reno, uh, we're holding this line, sir, open for Alaska, but I appreciate the call. Until about uh, the bottom of the hour, we're holding the west of the Rockies toll-free line open for the state of Alaska, particularly in the fire-affected uh, areas. It's a, it's a horrible thing going on up there right now. Now we take you back to the night of June 6th, 1996, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Uh, hi, Art. How are you doing? I'm doing. You know, I got two things. You know, when, um, last week when your wife had that attack, Yes. And they had to put a different radio a tape program on? Yes. Do you think that you could put a program on that's a little bit older that maybe some of us haven't heard before? Um, well, um, instead of one that was it, it, as a matter of fact, um, that particular program that was put on, sir, was one that did not air the previous Friday. That was from about the middle of the week or something the previous week. Well, and, 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 and actually, uh, I joined the show live at 2 a.m., so it was only three hours. Yeah, I missed that part. Uh huh. The other thing I wanted to talk about was that I was watching on TV, they got that skeleton out of the sea in Malaysia. Yes. Did no. you see a photograph or a picture of the skeleton? Yeah, they, it was on TV. What did it look like? It looked horrible. It had a great big Tyrannosaurus Rex type head and a, really? about a 20 foot spine. They said it looked kind of like a dragon. Yeah, I guess a dragon. Skeleton might look like that. I don't think I'd be happy to pull something like that out of the water. Why did it take him six hours to pull this out of the water? It didn't look that huge. I don't know. I don't have that answer. Huh? Maybe uh, the photographic scale fooled you or something, uh, but they said it was incredibly hard to get out of the water, and as you say, it took about six hours. Well, it, it didn't look that huge. You know, it was just... I don't think there was any ribs on it. It was just the spine and the head, hmm. as I remember. Yeah, I, I have absolutely no answer for you. I just, you know, I read the Reuters story, and you, you're ahead of me because you've seen the uh, photographs. Yeah. Well, there's a video out on it somewhere, so mm -hmm. maybe you'll see it someday. All right, sir. Thank you. I'll look forward to that. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Whoops, would have been. A wild card line, you're on the air. Good morning. Uh, Charlie, liberal uh, in California. Yes. Yeah, too bad about that fire in Alaska. 
Uh, we got the same kind of type of problems here. Let me say, um, you know something. You had a lot. You had a lot of people comparing Bill Clinton uh, with Ronald Reagan, saying how great Ronald Reagan is. I have to say, the difference between Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton is that Bill Clinton is the most fiscally responsible president we've ever had, <laughs> and Ronald Reagan is the most ir- irresponsible president on a fiscal level that we've ever had. Don't you ever get tired of this? I'm, I'm, you know something? This is what I don't like. You conservatives in the 1980s built up this big, giant lie. Unfortunately, there are a lot of young people out there who don't understand that, and a lot of uh, people are falling for that. Truth is, Ronald Reagan... Uh, spent spent a great deal of money uh, for six years of economic growth that they're going that the young people are going to have to pay for for generations to come. Truth is, he built up our military force to the point that the other side gave up. Charlie, that's a bunch of baloney. The other right, side, is, it is the not other baloney. side was going to be was going to go out. Probably, maybe he quickened it by maybe two or three years at most, and that's according to uh, military experts who commented on that situation. And he's gotten credit for that that he doesn't deserve. But what had we can, had we continued to go in the other direction? Uh, can, uh, wait a minute now. Had we continued to go in the other direction, had the Carter plan for disassembly of the CIA and military uh, continued, well, then I'm sure the other side, instead of deciding to crumble, would have decided to they fight. Were not, they did not decide to crumble. They were, they yes. were, they were, yes, they I'm did. in the intelligence field, and I can tell you that probably at least 12 years before the Soviet Union went down, uh, you had the CIA saying that they had a few years left, and that was it. Whether we spent money on the military or not, well, that's no, just one of the I big, had no idea that's that. That's just one of the big. I had no of, idea that customs people uh, were privy to that kind of international intelligence. We're I, I'll privy be to a lot, but let me let me say <laughs> the, the bottom the bottom line is this. Ronald Reagan is responsible for these deficits that we have now because he was absolutely irresponsible. His own people told him, if you do this, you're going to cause major, major deficits. And he told his own people to get lost. Bob Dole, who's running for the Republican nomination, fought him on it. And Charlie, so, right and now, so, the big debate, uh, which is a non-debate about uh, Medicare, is a bunch of absolute crap on both sides. I said on both sides. The real truth is Medicare is not going to survive, period, and both sides are afraid to say it. Well, the, the truth is is that we need Medicare. The Republic, and, I, and I think the elderly people who are listening to this program should keep one thing in, mo- in mind. When you press that lever for Bill Clinton or Bob Dole, think, are, is a Republican, and you know the record of Republicans, are they really interested in saving Medicare? Are the Democrats, the liberals, are they interested in saving Medicare? Your future depends on it, and I think they're going to make the right decision and vote for the uh, Democrats. <laughs> All right, goodbye. That's a, that's a total load. It's a total load. Uh, both sides know damn well privately that Medicare cannot be saved. So you're talking about an extension of or a difference of a couple of or even a few years one way or the other. But both what both sides are not telling you is Medicare ultimately, absolutely, positively cannot and will not be saved. But nobody's going to talk about that. So if you want to listen to this partisan, narrow-minded, rhetorical baloney, go right ahead. But I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you that both sides aren't discussing the real problem with Medicare. It's a, it's hardly even worth talking about, frankly. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. How you doing? I'm okay. 
Every time I hear him, Mart, I just uh, I just can't believe he thinks what he says. But that Charlie's a nice one. The uh, real devil seed. <laughs> the demon seed. You got that right. Yeah. Uh, I'm calling from South Carolina. I'm on my way home from work. Uh, I was listening to you on uh, 1100 3WE. Yes. Oh, in Cleveland. Uh, yeah, I get it out here in South Carolina pretty loud and clear. Whew, and signal. now I'm switched over to uh, 910 uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina, W-O-R-D. Yes, sir. Steve. And uh, I, I hadn't heard you much lately. But uh, I've been, uh, I haven't worked nights much lately, but I, I tune in, I hear this thing, uh, Chupacabra. Yes. And, and I'm on the phone, I'll have to, you know, hear you what you tell me after I hang up, but uh, I just, I don't know what it is. I've, I've heard you give some kind of facetious answers to people about it, eating 400 people and stuff, but... Well, I was that—that that was a joke. Uh, I, know, I, I know, but I'll... Uh, I'm glad to tell you what I know, sir. Listen on the air. Um... The chupacabra is, I believe, uh, some sort of creature, and I, I don't know exactly what it is, but it has something, has killed about 2,000 animals. And whatever you may hear or read, the truth of the matter is that there have been, um, uh, there have been a number of autopsies done, many autopsies, uh, done on animals that have been killed by this creature. The autopsies show the bite marks in the neck, uh, typically on the outside, two large bite marks. And then on the inside, uh, four marks. The blood has been drained from these creatures. The chupacabra is not a bat. And I don't want, want to get gross with you here, but Bats bite necks and then lap up the blood. They do not, as a vampire would, uh, suck the blood. This creature, this chupacabra, or whatever you want to call it, or imagine that it is, does that. Or something out there is doing that. It began with reports uh, as, as, as far back as a couple of years ago in Puerto Rico, then uh, began to be reported in South America, then Central America, now border states, including California, Arizona, Texas, um, and other areas. Uh, so there is something to this. How much there is to it, I don't know. Somebody sent me what purports to be a photograph of a chupacabra. It is the only one I know of. It may be real. It may be a fake. I don't know. It's on the web page. There have been drawings by eyewitnesses. They, too, have been scoffed at uh, by zoologists, as has my photograph. It's not my, I didn't take it. Uh, if you want to see the drawings and the photograph of the Chupacabra, which, by the way, are going to be published in our newsletter. Otherwise, we get the photographs up on the Internet. My webpage is uh, www.artbell.com. That's www.artbell.com. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi, Art. Hello. In Kansas City. Yes. How are you doing tonight? Very well, thank you. Um, I was calling in reference to your gentleman that called earlier. Um, they were trying to ban school prayer in his area. That's right. Well, actually, it's been done. A federal judge uh, uh, ruled. Well, I think I personally think it should be, but people that want pr prayer in their schools should really think about what they want. <laughs> 
because what's going to happen when they get some little voodoo child, you know, in a classroom somewhere, you know, that wants to dance around and, you know... Cut, cut up chickens and stuff? Yeah, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Well, you know, All the people in this country aren't Christians. No, they're not. But if there's an area where the vast majority or even all of the people are and they want prayer... Um, this is supposed to be the land of the free, home of the brave, and all that sort of thing. That's true. So what's what? Why not let people have what they want? That's true, but they better make really sure that they know what they want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I just think I just think one uniform law that says no, you can't have this, is as wrong as the opposite. So in the end, if it were up to me, I would leave it up to localities and states. That's true. I agree. Well. That's all I had to say. Thank all right. You, well, thank, thank you for saying it, and good morning. That's just me. And I, I'm not sure of the uh, efficacy of uh, one person uh, going to court and preventing an entire community or a whole group of people uh, from having what they want. In other words, if you have 99.999% people who want prayer in school in their area and you have one person, one person, who uh, says no and goes to court and then a court rules against virtually all of those people, I, I'm not uh, not in favor of that. I'm also not in favor of forcing anybody's uh, religion down your throat. So somewhere in the middle, I've always thought there there should be some common ground. What do you think? Common ground. Freedom. Liberty in America. Is that a is that a, a workable concept for you? We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from June 6th, 1996. Networks presents Art Bell Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired June 6, 1996. Hello, everybody, and here's a fax from Alaska, kind of interesting. I was talking about the movie Arctic Blue. It's kind of a sleeper running on the pay channels now. You get a chance to see it, see it. It's all about the uh, bush country in Alaska and the kind of people that live out there, and here's one of them who just sent me a fax. Don't know about Arctic Blue, hasn't seen it. But I can tell you this about this homesteader. The nearest lake to land, about six miles away. The nearest road, 30 miles. Wasilla and the fire, about 100 miles away from me. 
An hour flight from Anchorage over pure Alaskan bush. Rule number one, you come on land, you get one warning shot. Rule number two, you come on my land and take my game, you're dead. No questions asked, no answers wanted. That's from one person out in the bush there. And uh, this person needs to see, or maybe doesn't need to see, Arctic Blue, because it was kind of about his exact type. Up to the state of Alaska, you're on the air. Hi. Yeah, Art, how you doing? Fine. Uh, you're where, in Anchorage? In Anchorage, yeah. Yes, sir. Um, pretty scary here. I wouldn't advise anyone who's making any travel plans to come up here. Well, it doesn't sound like it's uh, its normal self. <laughs> no, it's, it's the winds. If the winds die down, which it doesn't look like, it's it's pretty unbelievable. Well, what what's really scary is it's so early in the season. Well, it's been it, the weather's been screwed up all year long. I mean, without rain, what's it going to be like mid-August? Right, it's not going to get any rain. It's it's the winds are too high, and it's just uh, it's blowing it out. It's 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 almost uncontrollable. They don't know what to do. That's what the, that's what I'm hearing. Uncontrollable. And, and, and they've got scare in their voices, and that's not good. God. What, one more what, thing. Our, what, wait. What is the uh, what is the forecast now? Do you know? Forecast is they say the winds might do, might tight down in a couple of days, but right now they're not. Uh, Man, a couple of days more of this. Yeah, they're uh, they they're not saying, but you could just tell in their voices around on their on their local radios that they're. Uh, How much danger is Wasilla in? Um, I'm, I just moved up here six months ago, so I'm not really sure where that is. All right, I moved up. Hey, Art, one more set. How come Charlie got the call in on that line? What line? On the west of uh, the Rockies line. He wasn't. He, he was wasn't. on a wild card line. Oh, he was? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Take care. I don't, uh, when, when I restrict a line, I restrict a line. <laughs> East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hey, how you doing? I'm okay. Where are you? I'm in uh, North Mississippi. Yes, sir. Uh, what's your opinion on this uh prayer deals about our judge here, federal judges, overturned our school prayer. Yeah, I'm aware of it. Um, I think that eventually all of this had better get turned back to the states and localities uh, for what they want to do, or people are going to get restless. Alright. Because I went to one of the schools in that county, and, you know, for years, you know, we just had prayer, and we didn't think nothing twice about it. And I mean, in that county, you found approximately 52 churches. I know. Listen, I agree with you, sir, and I I just said it. Uh, you asked for my opinion. There it is. I'm aware that it was overturned, that there's not going to be prayer there, and I'll tell you something. In this country, we're going to have to learn that different states and different localities have very different feelings about things. And when one person uh, can file a lawsuit and get 99.99% of the rest of the people to do something they don't want to do or prevent them from doing something they do want to do, it's eventually going to lead to trouble. You know, restless trouble. That's what I have to say about it. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, Art, I think you may have a solution to your problem, but it's a good news, bad news solution. Well, I'm not even sure what problem you're talking about. Well, the devil's seed. Oh, the devil's seed. <laughs> you mail them to Charlie Liberal. Yes. Now, he'll plant those. They grow up. They have this horrible meat flesh on them. This, in turn, will attract the chukacabra. But that's a problem because not even a chukacabra is going to swallow the stuff that Charlie has on. So instead, 
It swallows Charlie. That is the bright side. <laughs> yes. All right, sir. Thank you very much for the call. So there you have it. Uh, Charlie Bait for Chupa. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Hi, this is Mike from Michigan. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, first of all, I'd like to wish you a happy uh, 6696. Yeah, you know, I got a fax about that earlier today. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff going around on the Internet. Here it is, three sixes, six, six, ninety-six. Yeah, I suppose. Um, also, uh, uh, you were talking about Tim Leary the other night. Timothy and, Leary, yes. Yeah, um, there's another guy that, that's quite interesting, and he was an acquaintance of uh, Ms. Dr. Leary's, uh, Robert Anton Wilson. I'm sure you know who he is. Oh, I do. And uh, he would be, he would seem to be an uh, interest. I may, yes, may, maybe I'll pursue that. Yeah, because he, he's got a... He's got a lot of different ideas. It's pretty much all-encompassing, really. And uh, um, one other thing, can I make a prediction? Oh yes. Okay. Well, the this over the winter, I had a, a dream um, of a tornado in my area of Michigan, mm -hmm. uh, the Grand Blank area, actually, which would be a little south of me. I live in Flint, Michigan, but uh, I predict it'll happen uh, before the end of the month because the dream I had, I was standing out on a out on my balcony looking toward the south, you know, toward the Grand Blank area, and I mm -hmm. see a giant funnel cloud. I've never had a dream like this before. It was pretty clear. You know, I've never, don't claim to be psychic or anything, but I will give a time limit toward the end of this month because I'm not going to be living where I'm living. Uh, I'm moving to Detroit at the end of this month. Well, so, you'll hear us on, uh, on, on the big monster in Detroit there. Oh, yeah, WGR. Till, yeah, right now I'm listening to you on the one out of Flint. You're on until 6 out here, so... Uh, Excellent. Yeah. So, well, listen, uh, I'm, I'm going to have the best dream interpreter I ever have talked to is Dr. Pepsi Toger, and we're going to have her on uh, Friday night, Saturday morning, so uh, you should call then. All right. That would be fine. I mean, she really is quite good. Uh, oh, really? So, so we'll talk to you then. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. Um, I've never heard such a good dream interpreter. Usually, I scoff at that kind of thing. I scoff. But she was awfully good. Boy, she really was very, very good. Now, that interview is dependent on the flow of news. You know, if they move in on the Freeman or if uh, uh, something awful happens between now and then, we will reschedule it. So it's obviously dependent on our ability to go ahead and break away from what has not been exactly what I would call a heavy news time. Uh, but if we do run it, uh, you're, you're really going to enjoy it. Uh, she really is something. She doesn't give stock answers. She doesn't give stock answers at all. And a lot of times, she's telling people what they don't want to hear as opposed to what they want to hear, which to me is impressive because usually these kinds of people are always telling people exactly what they want to hear. It's sickening to listen to. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. No, you're not. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hello. Going once. Hello. Hello. Yes. This Art? Yes, it is. Oh, this is Scott in Anchorage. Hi, Scott. Yeah. I've been trying to get through for quite a while. Well, here you are. <laughs> yeah, the, um, that, uh, talking about that fire, it's, um, I guess part, part of the problem why it's spreading so easy is the type of trees that are burning. Their branches grow right down to the ground. And so the brush is burning, it hits some trees, it just continues to go. And the wind. And the wind, yeah, the wind's helping a lot. Blew it. Um, they said today that it actually blew across one portion of a lake. What? And, and uh, 
yeah, with with the wind and the the uh, you know when the fire shoots the, up the tree. Yeah, the embers, uh, flaming embers, just take off. Yeah, and it, it kind of picks up you know a lot of momentum and comes up off the top of the tree and then through the air and lands another spot and the way it goes. So. It actually jumps. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, and it's gone across. Like they said, the park highway is closed, and it's going across. It jumped across that road. Mm. But and then the other problem is the humidity right now is. I think today it was 16 percent. Yesterday it was about 13. You've got to be kidding! That so, that's the kind of uh, level of humidity that we have here in the desert. Yeah, it's a, it's um it's been real real dry, and that's just that's you know we have relatively low humidity most of the time, but um that's extremely low. Yes. In fact, I think the 13 was. I'm telling you, back. those those are levels we get here in the hot desert, cactus country. Yeah, yeah, I, I had spent some time down in southern Arizona. It was, uh, it was hot. <laughs> yeah, there you are. Well, we all wish you folks well up there. Yeah, it's um, it's, I guess by tomorrow they expect to have about 1,100 people on the fire. And uh, I know they're flying them in from all over now. Yeah, yeah, they've been brought up some from Idaho, and I had heard they were going to take some out of Canada. Are you all getting regular bulletins on this on the radio up there? Yeah, yeah, we get it a lot on the local radio and the news. You know, on TV, it's been running, you know, special things showing you, telling you what's going on, whatnot. So. Well, know that our thoughts are with you, my friend. Oh, yeah. All right, take care, uh, Alaska, once again. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello, Art. Hello. This is Patrick in Nashville, Tennessee. How you doing, Patrick? I'm fine. How are you? Very well. I used to live out in Las Vegas. I always got tickled when I heard Pahrump uh, <laughs> talked about. Yes. Uh, I had a, I was fascinated when I heard uh, Ed... Danes or, or Danes? Major Danes, yes. Major Danes. Uh, my father was in the, or is in the Air Force. He's a major in Okinawa. And uh, I used to ask him about alien crafts at Nellis Air Force Base. That's where he was stationed. Yes. And uh, he would always get mysteriously quiet. And I was wondering if there is still any activity out there, because we used to, we used to hear things about objects crashing north of Las Vegas, and they would send the Air Force out there. Is there is there still any of that activity going on out there? I was out there about 10 years ago. Do you hear anything in the desert? That, that That's mysterious quiet you just heard. <laughs> <laughs> just like my father, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't honestly think I can talk about this kind of thing, do you? <laughs> no, I understand you're in a compromised position, Art, and I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate your understanding, <laughs> sir. I wonder when, uh, if you could narrow down when Ed uh, Major uh, Major Danes might be on your program. Well, what is today, anyway? It's Wednesday night, Thursday. Um, maybe I'll give him a call tomorrow, and we'll see what comes up. All right. All right? Uh, keep up the good work, Art. Thank you, and Thank take you. care. You know, maybe I'll give him a call tomorrow. You know, I'm almost reluctant to. What he said scared the hell out of me. You, you want... Me to be honest with you, scared the hell out of me. I have this, I have this inner sense that um, he's dead on the money, and that what we're seeing right now is just a precursor. That's what I think. This weather, normal, <laughs> no way. A precursor, what uh, the major said, may be, could be, would be. If what he said is uh, is ahead, I, I just I have this feeling, and so it scared me. <laughs>
Streamlink, the audio subscription service of Coast to Coast AM, has a new name, Coast Insider. You'll still get all the same great features for the same low price, just 15 cents a day when you sign up for one year. The package includes podcasting, which offers the convenience of having shows downloaded automatically to your computer or MP3 player, and the iPhone app with live and on-demand programs. You'll also get our amazing download library of three full years of shows. Just think, as a new subscriber, over 1,000 shows will be available for you to collect, enjoy, and listen to at your leisure. Plus, you'll get streamed and on-demand broadcasts of Art Bell's Somewhere in Time shows and two weekly classics. And as a member, you'll have access to our monthly live chat sessions with George Norrie and special guests. If you're a fan of Coast, you won't want to be without Coast Insider. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up today. Now we take you back to the night of June 6th, 1996, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. You know, uh, again, I have been talking far less, or even been, uh, I guess I would say, interested far less in politics lately. And I've got a lot of company out there. And I've been sort of trying to decide why that is of late. And I, th I think the, I do know the answer. I consider Clinton inevitable. I consider Dole hopeless. I consider the issues meaningless, uh, particularly uh, Medicare. It's the latest. <laughs> Both of these parties are lying their butts off about Medicare. They're lying. You know, and so whatever debate is taking place right now about Medicare is shallow and false and not even worth devoting time to. And I think I see precisely what's going to occur with this election. Maybe it'll get hot. I don't know, but I don't see how. I, I, don't, I don't see a whole lot of hope um, that real issues are going to be discussed. Bob Dole's walking around saying it's not going to be an issue of... Uh, Character. That's the only issue that, that uh, Mr. Clinton is really even vulnerable uh, with regard to right now. That's all. He's not going to even argue the issue. The whole thing is hopeless, in my opinion. Hopeless. And I think what we're going to have is four more years of Bill Clinton. So I guess I just, I, I haven't been, uh, I'm not motivated politically right now. Plain, not motivated. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Uh, hello, Art. This is Eagle River. Eagle River, Alaska. Oh, man, it's been a while since I heard your voice. Yeah, I figured I'd take the opportunity, Art, since you were keeping this line open for Alaska. Yeah, that's right. Hey, listen, did you know that this forest fire is in the Bible? Mm. I bet you didn't know this forest fire was in the Bible. Well, where? Well, it's in Revelation. Well, you it's, think it's... this is part of the the end, do you? It's called the Big Lake of Fire. Well, we it's have a fire lake and we have big lake and we have true. a big lake of fire. Yeah, you do. You know. Yeah, how close? Uh, how close is it to Eagle River? Um, oh, maybe I don't know about uh, the way that the eagle flies. <laughs> Not the way the crow flies, but the way the eagle flies. Maybe about uh, oh, fifteen or twenty miles, maybe. 
Oh my, I would imagine then that your skies, uh, depending on the wind, have been pretty dark. Uh, it hasn't been too bad around uh, Eagle River. It was actually worse in Anchorage, they tell me. Well, what I'd be worried about uh, is, you know, since the wind is so um, horrible and apparently keeps changing direction, you guys have got to keep a very close eye on it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what. It's, um... um I don't know if I want to get close enough to it to keep an eye on it. It might singe my feathers. Well, you know what I meant. But I know what you mean, Art. But anyways, Art, to me, it, to me, all the stuff that's going on, Art, and I'm considered some kind of a nut because uh, I just, this nation is under a curse, all the curses, because they don't know where Israel is. They think Israel is in Palestine and Israel is in Christ. All right, sir, uh, and so the end times, and they're there with your fire. Well, this nation is in trouble. The soul of this country is wounded. What did I read? An article um, an hour ago about a 16-year-old raping a 1-year-old, which is now in the hospital. And I can pick those stories day by day by day actually I can't even ignore them anymore I used to just put them aside I, I just was and there are so many of them now and collectively it adds up to me to a nation that is in very serious trouble very serious trouble what I call the quickening it's real first time caller line you're on the air hi Art yes. I got you yes that's true I don't believe it now listen I'm a first time caller on this show Right. But I'm the guy from years ago who was on the New York Thruway with the guy who couldn't smoke cigarettes, remember? Uh, well, then you've called before. But that, that was when you were in Vegas. Well. But what I wanted to tell you now is uh, I finally got through. Listen, with this chupacabra. Yes. Did you ever hear of um, Colin and a Janet Board? They wrote a book called Alien Animals and many other good books. No. Well, they would it's be great one. guests on your show because they have the best documented book on alien animals I've ever read, Janet and Colin Board. How can you have a documented book on alien animals? Well, I'm saying there's so many of them, but this was the best one I've ever read, and it was hard to get after a while. Well, um, if you have any contact information for them, uh, pass it on. Now, listen, don't hang up on me yet. I'm used to my three minutes here. You, no, now, there, did there, you there is, Michael there, Talbot listen, in book no, called The Holographic Universe? Uh, no, never heard of it. Thank you for the call. There is no guaranteed three minutes. So I don't know where you came up with that. That was then. This is now. That also, by the way, was a very, very good movie. That was then. This is now. It's actually a movie called that. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hey, Art Bell. Hello. How you doing? Tonight? Fine. Um, the other night when you was having that discussion about same-sex marriages. Oh yes. Um, I've been I've been trying to get in. I want to know. You say you really don't know which way you'd go on that if it was your family. Yeah, if it was a family member, I have no fixed, easy answer for you. And, and you know, I've thought about it since we did that show. Yeah. I, I still don't have a fixed, easy answer. Okay, you, well, you know, I understand that you, you're you not for it, really, but you... No, I'm as not. Far as family. Okay, what if you had a daughter and she wanted you to give her away? Uh, in a, in a same-sex marriage? Yeah. 
because whenever you give your daughter away. Yeah, I understand, sir. Look, we've got to go because we're at the top of the hour here, but my answer is the same. I have no fixed answer. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from June 6, 1996. Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from June 6th, 1996. Good morning, everybody. Live overnight talk radio because this radio station cares enough for you to have it on. Now, from Wasilla, Alaska, Bonnie says, front, uh, fire front line, we are exactly three miles from the fire line, about halfway between Wasilla and Big Lake. We will most likely be one of the next areas to evacuate. The sky glows red. Ash falls all around our home. The car is packed and we are pacing the floor. The winds have changed from south to southeast to north, making the fire go in a big circle. Imagine a letter C with the opening facing up. We are in the opening of the C, and the C is the fire. Carload of people on the road now, carrying all they can pack. Their faces are dazed and show fear. The fire is uncontrolled and raging. That's from Bonnie in Wasilla, Alaska. So I imagine they're up late uh, tonight with us in Alaska, and we are praying for you all. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Oh, this is wonderful. Art? Yes. I have lupus. I've had it for years and years and years, and you are the most marvelous man in the world. Well, that's, uh, I'm glad we keep you company. Yes, you do, every night, every night. And uh, I wish we got you till uh, 5 o'clock, but we don't. Where, where are you, actually? Okay, I'm actually um, in Oklahoma, but listening to KFH out of Wichita. All right. And last night I was very interested in your program where the fellow was... Uh, wanting to tax the churches. It was an amazing program, actually. I've never been quite as interested as I was last night because I am not a Mormon, but I am a reorganized Latter-day Saint. Reorganized? Uh-huh. Have you ever heard of that? Mm, no, not specifically. Okay. According to what I was taught when I was a child, I am not able to go now, of course, because I'm ill and I've been away from Wichita into Oklahoma for so many years and I would have to drive like over a hundred miles to get to church and back. 
but I, I'm disabled and can't do anything now. But anyway, I did not realize that the Mormon Church believed that they cannot ordain a black person. Is that true? Well, that was apparently true. Um, that was about 20 years ago, and that's what led to the, I guess, the whole um, the whole controversy that that uh, mm -hmm. you heard about last night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, um, now we we claim Joseph Smith is our leader, not Brigham Young. Okay. But I'd never heard that in our church, and we also do not. Um, we are not married in the temple so that we will be married to our oh, spouse in heaven. I don't know if you know anything much about the Mormon church, but they do do that. I can't say that I know a lot about it, no. Uh -huh. uh, anyway, I'm glad you uh, enjoyed the show. It was, uh, it, was a, it was a very unusual program. It was a very unusual program. I have never had quite such a chain of coincidences occur, and I guess that's occurring as we get a larger audience. It was just absolutely amazing. Uh, to hear uh, from his niece and then from the black man that he ordained that began the whole mess. Uh, on the same show was a little much. I said it last night, it almost seemed like intervention, you know, from somewhere or another. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. Look, uh, greetings from KL7 land. Uh, that would be Alaska. That's a ham call in right. Alaska. Where, where are you in Alaska? Uh, Juneau. Juneau. Excellent. That would be K-I-N-Y in Juneau. Right. Yes, sir. M800. You bet. Yeah, I think the uh, fires are an unfortunate thing up in uh, northern Alaska, and it's uh, a real shame. And it's going to put a toll on the, the tourist season up there. Uh, it's going to do that and maybe more. Um, I, I'm beginning to wonder, with the forecast the way it is for the next... Well, I'll tell you, if this thing keeps raging out of control for two more days, there's going to be tragedy. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's already people losing houses. Yep. yep. And it's, it's, a, it's a shame. I, I take it the Juno's had more normal weather. You get a lot of rain there in uh, southeast. Uh... Right, it's uh, cloudy right now, but uh, it's it's you know it, it's been quite sunny, you know, a little warm, and uh, you know we haven't had as much rain as we usually get, and it's been quite dry. Right, right. Um, your your uh, town, Juno, is one that I've never been in, and the only way uh, anybody gets to Juno is either by ship or by airplane, right? Right. Uh, I would like to visit Juneau and will one day. It's a very interesting place. I've got a very old friend who lives up in Juneau. Oh, yeah? Who's that? Uh, he runs... Uh, I don't want to give his name over the air, but uh, uh, he runs a video store up there. He moved to Juneau about 20 years ago and started a video store. I, I, I don't want to give his name on that. Right. <laughs> um, you, you've got your ham radio lessons, correct? Uh, correct. Okay, uh, yeah, if you ever come to Juneau, bring your radio and uh, your two meter and uh, tune in uh, to 146.82. Uh, 2 huh? Uh, minus offset. Uh, and the call here is Kale. Uh, no, 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 don't give your call. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, my friend, thank you. That's Juneau, Alaska, and K I N Y in Juneau. 
as I say, we're uh, covered right across the state of Alaska. Alaska itself is an interesting topic. And again, I say, if you get an opportunity, see a, see a movie called Arctic Blue. There was a lot to that movie. Uh, it's a sleeper. It's running now on the pay services. And it tells you about the real Alaska, the bush Alaska, way up outside Fairbanks. And it was... Uh, it was really a good, thoughtful movie, and not at all what you would expect. So check it out. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Art. This is Bob from Nashville. Hi, Bob. Hi. I uh, heard you talking about a movie that you were recommending, and I was curious about one that you mentioned earlier. You had a uh, uh, script to. The, there's one out now called The Arrival. Is that the one you were mentioning, or is it a different one? No, I've got, I've got the script to ID4. ID four. Yes, uh, Independence Day. Independence Day. Uh -huh. Oh, okay. You know the one where uh, the White House blows up. I I have I don't keep track of movies too much. That's why <laughs> I was asking because sometimes they change the names of them between the time they make them and come out. You know. Well, ID four just Independence Day. Independence Day. ID four. Right. Do you know when it's supposed to be released? Uh, July third. <laughs> oh, uh, that's a coincidence. Okay, yeah. thank you very much, Art. All right, sir. Bye. Take care. I have not yet seen the arrival. That is out now in the theaters, and I'm, I'm told it gets uh, quite good reviews. Uh, by the way, uh, Charlie Sheen, Contact from an Alien Civilization, and um, I guess he plays a guy running a radio telescope when the message comes. Uh, I saw the making of it, and uh, it looks very good. Looks very good. I particularly like the guy, uh, the the part where the guy's knees bend backwards. Ooh. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. Yes. Calling from uh, I don't fall right out. Yes, sir. KID land. You bet. Um. Hey, I lived through the uh, Yellowstone fires back in '88. Right. I worked up in Grand Teton, and and uh, all I can say for those folks up in Alaska is be prepared for lots of sore eyes and headaches and coughs. And sure. It is. It's an absolute mess. It gets so bad that I imagine the smoke's, you know, probably so bad that uh, the sun, you know, it could be clear sky out there above the smoke, but underneath it's just. It's, they said the sun was orange. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you can't even see it. I mean, in the Yellowstone fires. It must be really weird up there because in Alaska at this time of year, this is what June sixth. Uh, Right. We're approaching the longest day of the year where the the sun will virtually stay in the sky until midnight. Yeah, it's got to be very strange. What are they saying now? Somewhere around uh, 45,000 acres? or Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Horrible, yeah. and it's moving very fast. Yeah, I remember in, uh, up in the Grand Teton one night, uh, they had what was called, uh, it, was, it was like Black Thursday or something. The wind shifted on us. And uh, the fires moved within just a few miles of us, and of course it was, you know, the same talk of the evacuation of, uh, you know, workers and things there, and it just, it, it, it became very surreal. It, it became almost so strange that we started almost having a party about the whole thing. Hey, if it happens, we'll just run down to the lake, and, and ash is falling out of the sky, and you have to shake it out of your hair, so it's... Um, Lots of uh, headaches and sore eyes up there. It will happen. <laughs> All right, sir. Thank you. I, I, it's surreal. It, it is surreal in that kind of a situation. And I've been monitoring this from a lot of different uh, uh, 
uh, perspectives. And right now, I'll, I'll tell you, um, this weather thing. You see, this fire is a result of this weather thing. And we live, um, and I don't want to sound like a you know tree hugger, I'm not, but we live in a very, very delicately balanced environment. I believe that's true. And it doesn't take much change to produce a big change. Small effect, big change. And I think that's what we're observing. If you wish to believe that this is simply simply a cyclical uh, weather pattern, that's fine, and maybe you'll end up being right. I don't believe that. I believe there has been a basic, fairly profound, albeit small change, producing a very big effect. And the fires in Alaska are certainly the effect of uh, the weather this last year in Alaska, which has not been at all Alaskan-like. Having said that, we'll be right back. Streamlink, the audio subscription service of Coast to Coast AM, has a new name. Coast Insider, you'll still get all the same great features for the same low price. The package includes podcasting, which automatically downloads shows for you, and the iPhone app. You'll also get our amazing download library of three full years of shows. That's over a thousand shows for you to collect and enjoy. If you're a fan of Coast, you won't want to be without Coast Insider. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up. You're listening to Ark Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from June 6, 1996. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Yeah, hello. Yes, sir. This is Jim from Peoria. Hello, Jim. Uh, I can barely hear you, so you're going to have to get into the phone and shout at us. Yeah, okay. I said this is Jim from Peoria. Right, right. Go, go ahead, Jim. You're on the air. Yeah, okay. I just wanted to let you know that, you know, everybody's bashing Clinton. I think he's one of the greatest presidents we ever had. Well, I don't uh, spend a lot of time bashing him, but I also don't think he's one of the greatest presidents we've ever had. Why do you think that? Well, he's made the economy come back, and he's trying everything. It's just these other people just, there's so many people throwing so much mud that it just makes me kind of sick. I mean, I don't believe half the things they're saying about him is true. Well, I don't believe half the things he says are true. Well, yeah, but he makes a lot of mistakes, just like anybody else. I mean, he's no perfect man. Well, there's mistakes, and then they're simply being disingenuous. But I don't think that he's... It, double-talking on purpose. I think that they're twisting these words around. Most of the... No, I don't think he does it on purpose. I think it comes naturally. No, <laughs> I just disagree with you. I just disagree with you. Plus, I'm a Democrat. Well, uh, in that case, you're, you're welcome to your opinion, of course. Uh, and, I, you know, I don't think he is evil. All right? There's a lot of people who spend all their time bashing him. I don't do that. No, he's just he's, he's just what he is. He's a product of us. He's a guy who will say anything he needs to say to stay in office. And he's the consummate politician. He's, yeah, damn, a, he's damn good at what he does. That's a politician in general. They just say what they want to just to get the people to vote for him. That's right. Well, if that's the measure of goodness, then he's good. Yeah. Well, I just, uh, I just, I don't know. I just think if he gets in next year, I think that, well, 
he'll do a little better than he did this year because I think he's a good president. <laughs> All right. Well, um, time will tell, as, okay. as they That's say. Thank my you. Opinion. Well, thanks for and, I like the program. All right. Thank you. Uh, I'm not the Clinton basher. I just, I don't, it's not even worth spending that much time on, frankly, that a lot of people do. It's just not worth it. Clinton is what he is. What he does comes naturally. He is the mighty Morphin president, the guy who can go in any direction he needs to go, the quintessential politician. And so he is just what he is. And I don't, uh, I don't say that's a trivial matter either. What he is is a very electable. Talking about electability, oh, he's very electable. Because he'll tell you what you want to hear. And that in, in, in modern America, that is the way to get elected, isn't it? It's just a sad fact. And the exact opposite of Bill Clinton is Bob Dole. And that's why my view is he doesn't have a chance. Unless there's some magic, some conversion, and it would almost have to be magic in, in Bob Dole that I haven't seen, or Clinton does himself in, that's possible, politically, I mean, of course. I mean, <laughs> it is possible something will catch up with the Clintons. Uh, but barring that, he's going to be uh, our president for another four years. Anyway, I'm angry at politics right now. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hey, how's it going, Art? My okay. name's Ben, and I'm in San Diego. Yes, Ben. And I'm calling. I got this buddy, Tom, and uh, he died in Minnesota. And he's telling me that now he's hearing reports of the chupacabra up in Minnesota. You've got How much truth is there to that, Art? I haven't heard the report yet of anything as far north as Minnesota. Is that possible? But I've heard Santa Ana. As a matter of fact, Santa that, Ana, that, California. Yeah, that was in the Orange County Register. No. Yes. Jeez. Now I'm not going to lose any sleep here. You know, if there's about this chupacabra thing. Well, you must be. It's what two twenty-five in California, so you're losing sleep it, now. I've, yeah. <laughs> All right, I don't know what I'm doing up right now. But, um, yeah, so there have been reports in California. Many reports. Whoa, freaky stuff. Yes. So, um, and what was, I, now I missed, what was that guy saying tonight about um, a book or, I don't think, what was he saying? He heard proof or something of the chupacabra? Yeah, he was, well, and that can't be, as far as I know. I, I appreciate your call. He was saying, he was referring to a book about alien animals. We hardly even know about aliens. And he was saying documentation of alien animals. I don't know how, how there could be documentary. He, I guess he meant a just a book about alien animals. That there could be. Documentation on alien animals. The best we've got is that so far on the chupacabra, if it's even alien. We don't even know it's alien. Look, this thing, whatever it is, could have come out of a lab. It could have come... You know, the theories range from time portals to dimension jumps to a uh, simple evolutionary quirk to somebody's secret lab somewhere. It could be any of the above or none of the above, but something's out there, and it's not good. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. 
No, you're not. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hey, Art. Calling from Calabasas. Calabasas, yes. Oh, I always get such bad brain lock when I talk to you. I've made a few notes. I just want to touch on a um, few subjects that you've been talking about. All right, go ahead. Well, first of all, I noticed that you got your voice distortion gadget, and I like it. You better believe it. Um, the I'm second thing I wanted to talk about was um, about the tax-exempt status of the church. Yes. Well, I thought that maybe that caller who called from the IRS yes. could yank the tax-exempt status from the Mormon church, and Mr. Wallace could drop his lawsuit. Well, I don't think our IRS employee had that kind of power. Uh, he's just, uh, as he said, a contract employee, so he doesn't make policy. He just executes it. Well, when his um, niece... Linda finally comes to her senses and renounces her uh, racist pagan religion. She'll know who to turn to because he seems like a pretty good guy. Ooh, that's a kind of a cheap shot. Aww. Now, come on now. Take it easy on people, you know. Let them have their faith. All right. And then one more thing. What, what else? About your um, same-sex marriage topic. Yes. I was thinking about, you know, the question that you've been posing and... I don't know either, but um, as you say, um, you're wondering whether blood is thicker than ideology. And that was the question, yes. Maybe it is and maybe it's not. I don't think it is, but I think that love is. Okay, well, listen, I've got to go. All right, thanks, Art. See you later. All right. Bye. We'll be right back. <laughs> you're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from June 6th, 1996. Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from June 6, 1996. I've got a fax here from Fairbanks, Alaska. It's Jeff in Fairbanks, and if my webmaster is listening, Keith, Keith, if you're out there, um, Jeff in Fairbanks says, a website at the University of Alaska which has an hourly updated satellite pass where you can see the pall of smoke in the Wasilla Anchorage area as well as the rest of the state's weather check it out it covers 
from the North Pole to the North Pacific and includes far eastern Siberia and part of the Yukon Territory. And it's a long, typical um, address. It is FTP colon forward slash forward slash GIS dot LTER dot Alaska dot EDU forward slash LO R-E-S space archive forward slash daily space composite dot G-I-F good lord <laughs> so I don't know if those spaces ought to be in there uh, maybe if you just did a wet or a, um, a browser search for Alaska you would come upon it Archive daily, some some sort of search there. You'd come upon it. These these we have got to do something about these these addresses that are so long. Uh, but maybe we can get a copy of this um, photograph and get it up on our website. We'll see what we can do. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi, this is Rachel from Anchorage. Hi, Rachel. I just had to say something about Charlie. What do you want to say? California. Yes. Um. How he said, oh, I felt so sorry for the Alaskans. Anyway, the nation puts a lot um, of effort out to the earthquakes in California, and I think he can show a little bit of sympathy to us Alaskans up here. That's been bugging me for ever since he said it, so I just had to say something. I thought that was kind of rude. Charlie doesn't like Alaskans. I know, but uh, he still he, should show some sympathy. He doesn't like Hawaiians either. Charlie doesn't like uh, most people, actually. I think that he feels that um, us Alaskans and Hawaiians aren't really part of the United States. You know, we're way up here. That's, that's right. That's right. And uh, because Alaska uh, is generally a conservative place, I think that affects his uh, limited... Oh, yes. Limited... He, he being a liberal. Yeah. You know them liberals. <laughs> I do. Um, I just want to say also that one of the worst things about the fire that I feel bad for are the families who don't know if their house is burned down or not, because they can't say anything about specific structures. That's right. So I think that the worst part would be waiting. Well, that's bad, but being in its path is, is yeah, worse. Yeah, it's much worse. I, I mean, I, all right. All right, thank you very much. Sure, it's bad. And when they get going this fast, this out of control, it's really frightening. Really, really frightening. These kinds of fires are... are it's like an earthquake. Uh, you're helpless in its path. Man is helpless in its path. And for all the good we can do with firefighting, when nature is really out of control and the conditions are right and the winds are bad, you can't stop it. You just got to get out of its way. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Oh, hi, Art. This is Ed and someone in California. Yes. Uh, three quick things. First, about the Alaska fires. I wonder if the Heart Project might have... Uh, got into the weather and, uh. No way to know. Don't know about that. And also about the demon seed. I've studied plants and so forth and I sort of believe it, but then, uh, when he says that the fruit is, uh, like meat or meat itself, that kind of puts me off because. Well, it's true. It is. Yes, it is true. Uh, there is a plant exactly like that, a real plant. It's not science fiction. It's not somebody's story. There is really such a plant. Oh, and, and uh, they have pictures of it and so forth? Oh, yes. Well, 
Uh, just, uh, uh, I hope they don't make any hamburgers out of them, some of them from fast food. But one, one last thing. Have you heard of the author David Irving? No. Well, you had, uh, was it William Pierce on? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. Well, he's not like William Pierce exactly, but I just read a uh, column, a national columnist, uh, his last name is Cohen, but I can't remember his first name, uh, in today's paper uh, saying that uh, uh, David Irving wrote a book uh, that uh, claimed that uh, Joseph Goebbels yes. uh, was actually the instigator of uh, the anti-Semitic acts in Nazi Germany and so forth. And there's been a lot of uh, suppression of his book. He was going to have it published. Uh, this is in England. And um, supposedly the pressure was so much that uh, the book has been uh, banned in effect. So, uh, uh, well, my experience is the only um, the only effect that banning books has is to make people want to read them. And the underground supplies them. Banning books has never worked. Never is going to work. Can't ban books. <laughs> it uh, it has the precise opposite effect. It's just like when people get angry at films, and they go and they protest films, and they march up and down in front of a theater. People are then dying, even if it's a lousy film. You know, it it doubles the box office. It's not a good tactic. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hey, Art, how's it going? Hold on, let me get my radio. All right. Uh, where are you calling from, please? Uh, this is Mark from Missouri. All right. Hey, uh, I'll. I heard you uh, been talking about the, the Major Dane, and he apparently was like on your show for about a half an hour or so. Yes, he was. Okay. Um, did you see the the uh, like the eyes in the sky little special thing they had on Discovery Channel? Uh, it's been oh, a couple of months ago, I think it was, and they had. Uh, was it about our satellite KH uh, satellite series? Uh, no, actually, well, yeah, I think they did run a show about the satellite. Right, I but, saw that one. But they also had, uh, they also had one on the, uh, SR-71 Blackbird. Right. And, uh, they also had one about, uh, how the, uh, CII, excuse me, the CIA had, uh, done remote viewing. Yes. Experiments and stuff, and they oh, had, yes. uh, Major Danes and, uh, right. another guy named Ingo Swan on there. That's right. Okay, uh, I didn't know if you'd seen that or not. Um, I didn't get to hear what... Uh, well, then hang in there, because I am going to uh, schedule ma the Major on the show. I'm going to schedule him on the show, so... Um, it, it's not that I don't want the Major on, it's what he said that scared me. And yes, he is um, widely recognized as an expert in this field. A lot of people don't want to believe that, and I don't blame them based on what he's had to say, but yes, we're going to, you bet, we'll get him. You know me. If it's interesting, we'll get it on the air for you, and it certainly is, interesting doesn't serve to describe it properly. Fascinating, riveting, possibly. And because of the message, a lot of people don't want to hear it. They get angry. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Jennifer from hi. California. Yes, hi. Okay, I have a couple of things, actually. Um, you know how you guys were talking about um, the media and then you are talking about banning stuff? Yes. Well, I think that the government, I hate, you know, how they try and ban the, the whole country from knowing the inside information. 
like a lot of diseases that are going around, half time we don't even know about it because they, they feel that they don't want everyone to worry about it. Right. But then again, you know, how are we going to know about things if we're not even informed? I mean, why do they have to, like, pay off the media and everything just to not tell us what's going on? I don't think the media's paid off. Well, I mean, a lot of times they're, like, shushed out of telling the whole country about what's going on. I mean, a lot of things you hear, they're just, like... It's not what it's not what's banned or what you don't hear. It's what they don't say at all. In other words, it is censorship by omission. Okay. And these are the reasons that you need to have other information sources. One of the best is shortwave. If you don't have shortwave, you ought to have it. Okay. You, you can listen to Britain. You can listen to Moscow. You can listen to Havana. You can listen to the BBC. Uh, well, I said that in Britain. You can listen to Canada, Tokyo, and then you'll know what's going on. A lot of times, though, like, because I've been studying the ocean, because that's my major, ocean studies. Yes. And, I mean, I've just found out so many diseases that are running through the whole system of the coastline and everything, and we're not even informed of, you know, how the hazardous waste is just pouring out. I know it's just a little extreme, but, I mean, it's really frightening to know that um, razor blades and, like, medicine is just going right by it and landing right in the coastline shores. Where little kids are playing and we're, we're surfing and everything. It's just ridiculous. And we don't even, we're not, I mean, we're informed to extent, but, I mean, all these things are just floating around. I know. Well, look, uh, the reason is simple. It's not an insidious plot to keep information from you. But the major networks, even CNN to a degree, but certainly the major networks that have 30 minutes of news time every night, uh, can only deal with so many topics. 30 minutes is a very short time indeed. And they have to cover the major stories. And so there is a whole world of information out there, if you want it, that obviously, um, not for reasons of specific censorship, because I don't believe that, but just... Um, because they only have so much time is simply not covered. If That doesn't mean that you can't get it. We live in America. It's still a free flow of information. Internet is a good example. That's another good information source, the Internet. That's wonderful, actually. Are you on the Internet yet? Do you have a computer? If not, you really ought to move in that direction. Shortwave. All of these alternative information sources are available to you. So if all you do is sit and watch the evening news, then I guess really, um, in a lot of ways, you don't have a right to complain. You could complain if these alternative sources were not available to you, but the answer is they are. Now we take you back to the night of June 6th, 1996, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello, Art. Hello. Hi. Um, Anthony from San Mateo. Talk into, sir, sir, you're going to have to talk into your phone. Yes, um, I just wanted to tell you that uh, the woman from Salt Lake City, also just in case she had uh, a premonition, 
is that also her religion is from Golab, which is from the Mormons, is from outer space. All right, thank you, and so are you. It's from the Mormons, it's from outer space. <sighs> The, the walking mental wounded. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi, Art. Yes. Hi, I finally got the nerve to call you. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Where Where are you? I'm uh, in Albuquerque. Albuquerque, KLB, right. the big one in Albuquerque. Right. And I want you to go see the movie uh, The Arrival. Oh, I'm going to. Uh, you've got to. When you're you're talking about the weather and how it's getting so hot, and even the chupacabra, when you see the aliens in this, it got me to thinking, <laughs> you know. <laughs> has, the, uh, has the chupacabra made its debut in Albuquerque yet? No, uh-uh. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard anything about it here. I saw a report on CNN, um, oh, I guess about a week or ten days ago, and that's about it. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, maybe these things are smart. Uh, well, they must be to evade. Uh, right. I, I guess I, one thing is they move reportedly very fast. Right. 50, 60 miles an hour, and you're not going to be able to easily catch something that can go that fast. That's right. But And they're, they're smarter than we are because we can't really get a picture of them or catch one. <laughs> well, I may have a photograph of one. I don't know. Yeah, I, w I wish I had a computer. I'm looking forward to the uh, newsletter so I can see it. <laughs> I sent the photograph of the chupa uh -huh. up to the newsletter people today. Oh, good. All right. So which, uh, which newsletter will it be in, this month? Or well, I guess not this one, but the next. Okay. This one, we are going to have a full rendition of the best quality photographs from Richard Hoagland. Oh, wonderful. In wonderful. color. Yeah. That's great. So uh, there you are. Those, uh, thank you uh, for calling, by the way. Those of you that have been wanting to see the Hoagland pictures have not had access to the uh, Internet. Guess what? They're going in our newsletter. And uh, that ought to be shipping out to all of you here shortly. If you want to order the newsletter, I keep telling everybody. It's called Art Bell After Dark. Everything we talk about, everything out on the leading edge, some of the strange and unusual it's in the newsletter. So you should be convinced by now, we've been doing this one for well over a year now, I guess, haven't we? To order the Art Bell After Dark newsletter and get started, uh, simply call 1-800-917-4278. 1-800-917-4278. Somewhere I've got a uh, uh, kind of a promo of what's coming up in this newsletter. Ah, yes, here we go. In the June edition of After Dark, expect the following. A comprehensive eight-page spread on Richard Hoagland, including an article by Hoagland himself, accompanied by 20 key moon photos, key moon photos, both black and white and color, the Brookings Report, and much more, my commentary on where the presidential race is headed, <laughs> a photo of my mom with my wife Ramona, along with an excerpt of uh, my interview with my mom, I did that one night, three color photos of Art's possible Roswell artifacts, 
accompanied by an extensive explanatory article, an article on the Unabomber, and much more. First time caller line, you're on the air. Good morning, Art. Hi. Uh, Tim in Denver, KL country. Yes, sir. Yeah, I was just going to tell you this new voice of yours. Yes. If you would have pulled that thing out when we were standing in line in Portland for autographs, right? That line would have cleared out real quick. You think so? I think so. Step up to the line. <laughs> Come now, I'm ready to sign. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have been back in Denver before my book hit the floor. <laughs> I know. Isn't that the most evil-sounding thing you've ever heard? On this end, you can't believe it. It's it, it, the first couple times I heard it, it stood hair up on my arm. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I intended. You see, <laughs> I try to become what people keep telling me I am. They told me I was CIA, so I told them I'm CIA. Uh, they uh, would say I'm in the Trilateral Commission, so I admit to that. Then they would tell me that I, I'm an internationalist and I love the Fed, so I tell them I worship at the Fed. Then they started saying I'm the devil, so I thought, why not become the devil? You know what I mean? Ooh. <laughs> it, it, it's very, very eerie on this end. Yes. Okay, talk to you later, Art. And, and it cost me two hours. It took, took me two hours to get all that hooked up. Two hours of intensive hard work to get all that hooked up. Because, you know, I wanted it to sound really evil. <laughs> West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Yes. Yes. This is Carl Carl up in Palmer, Alaska, next door to Wasilla, where the fire is burning. You're close to it, then. I just drove through it an hour and 45 minutes ago. Through it, not past it. What can you tell um, us? I was on the Parks Highway, and it was burning within 50 feet of the highway on both sides. Oh, my God. They had firefighters just arriving at the scene, and I then heard on the radio that the highway was closed. This was 30 seconds after I drove through. Uh, is so you're, 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 you're one of the last people to come through then? Apparently so. Uh, is apparently... It is burning on the outskirts of the small city of Houston. You could see the smoke coming up from behind car lots and this sort of thing. How far does that make it from Wasilla now? Uh, Houston is next door to Wasilla. So oh, as it's wrapping around the area, it all depends on which way the wind blows and how hard they can fight it in that area. Well, I would guess we've got a lot of listeners uh, tonight um, because they're sure not sleeping. I wouldn't be. No, not in this area. I've never seen traffic like this. This time of night, we were driving down from Denali Park and from the fire on east all the way through Wasilla, Palmer, and east of there where I live. The traffic is quite incredible, and this is at uh, 1 in the morning here. What are the winds like now? Fortunately, right now, outside where I am, they're still. As we were coming through the fire... There were, I would guess, 5 to 10 mile an hour winds still. They are still predicting more winds, 15 to 20 miles an hour for tomorrow. Boy. And then, of course, the fire itself uh, creates a wind. Oh, yes, definitely. So. I heard someone speaking earlier about it jumping across to the lake, and this is certainly easily done. I know that it has jumped a mile or more several times. That's horrible. That's really frightening. We were up to, uh, this morning when we left to go on our day trip, it was about 11,000 acres involved. When we got back tonight, it was up to 
as far as I heard on the radio, 35,000 acres or more. All right. It's a break. I've got to go. I thank you, my friend. Okay. And thank you. Our prayers really are with you up there. That's horrible. Absolutely horrible. And you're getting the news as it occurs. That's it from the high desert. Take care, Alaska, and good night, America. Oh, 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 oh